Hey, is it Prince? Yes. Hey, it's Captain from the Peach and Black podcast. Where have you been? Well, we've been waiting for you to contact us, but we haven't heard anything for some time now. But anyway, we're recording the album review for the Symbol, the Love Symbol album, and we wanted to know your thoughts on Tony M. Hello? Prince? Hello? Oh, that artichoke hung up on me. Welcome to the Peach and Black Podcast, your central place to hear unofficial news, reviews, trivia, and intelligent discussion on all things happening in the Prince world, featuring the hosts, MC, you know, it's got all those classic Prince elements, Captain, why wouldn't you just record as much as you could, Player. it's just like a story chest of ideas, Toe Jam, either version, I love both versions. Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Peach and Black podcast. We're here again, and this time we're going to go into an album review. We're going way back, 21 years or so, to 1992. It is, of course, the Symbol album by Prince and the New Power Generation, and joining me here today to discuss this release is Player. Would you lay down on a bed of thorns while I lick your ocean dry? I'll answer that later, Toe Jam. <laughs> Stop sign. <laughs> <laughs> and captain's in the house. Chicka, yeah! Uh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we're all back here on this virtual radio show we call Peach and Black. And 1992, gentlemen, it was a while back. It was it, yesterday. It was <laughs> very interesting time period from... from I, I know I always say this, oh, it was a very interesting time period. But this was a particularly interesting time period for the artist known as Prince because... He just signed with Warner Brothers, one of the biggest record deals ever, and certainly I think the biggest record deal at the time. He was just about to change his name. The symbol appears on this album for the first time. There's a lot going on. There's a new band. They've just come off off of Diamonds and Pearls, you know, the first release by Prince and the New Power Generation band. And, and this is the second album by that band, basically taking taking the sound that they had back in 91 and kind of uh, rolling with it and creating something new and interesting in 92. So we're here to talk about the album. Before we go into the track by track, has anyone else got anything interesting or curious or um, important to mention about the I album do. or the era before we go into I do. I do. Okay, go right ahead. I have to say, this was really my first album. It was the first album that I bought after I knew who he was. I became a fan after Diamonds and Pearls had come out, but I don't remember if I bought Diamonds and Pearls way after it came out or if I bought Symbol first. But Symbol was the first album that I was like, you know, lining up to buy. That's all. So it's a very great. This is the rave equivalent to you. For you, yeah. <laughs> it is, it is. So, so Rave was the first real album that Toe Jam bought. Uh, Symbol yep. 92, Prince and the MPG is the first album Captain bought. Yes. My, obviously, I wasn't really a fan back then, but I just remember this era, this 92, because I remember he toured in Australia in 92. The album came out not much longer, and 
for me, it was like I remember hearing about, you know, he was Prince was on TV all the time. He was in magazines and in Australia anyway. It seemed like this was his, this year was his peak year in Australia. Yeah, I think it was a massive hit from a chart point of view as well. I think it And I was, think it did better in Australia than most other countries just off the back of the tour. Now, the Diamonds yeah. and Pearls tour in Australia made a huge impact in Australia. It was just massive. Mm. Yeah, and but it, this raised, album was- it raised his profile so much higher than it had been for years and years before that. Mm. But this, this album was considered a failure in comparison to Diamonds and Pearls in other parts of the world. Mm. But here, it did, it did all right here. When you yeah, say, it did all right here. When you say failure, you mean chart success, right? Well, Warner Brothers deemed it as a... Yeah, well, charts as what well. Would, what because, would they know? What would Warner Brothers know? No, well, I heard because Diamonds and Pearls, it was like seven singles off that album. And then this album came off pretty much on the back of it. They wanted him to slow down. Mm. Mm. That's where all these problems came Slow where. down. <laughs> <laughs> This is where that like this is around this era is when he started the, the bickering mm. and the problem started. It's it's like not as much, but it's it starts around this era and it's all you know the behind the scenes stuff is it's all about control and releases and how much content's coming out and you know even the first single Sexy MF you know you can understand the label being a bit hesitant putting that out there but on his insistence you know he wanted it out you know they there was all these issues you know probably behind the scenes that we got exposed to much later didn't sexy mf come out when the tour was still going no he performed the song on the tour because sexy mf i know it came out like three and a half months or something before the album did Hmm. which would have brought it back to like what july or june i mean the tour finished like mid-july so it could have even like like, it came out so far before the album that's right all the music videos and, and all that were made before the tour started because they mm. played it on the video screens during the tour. But some so. of the some of the video footage was filmed in Australia as well. Some of the Three Chains of Gold stuff. Three, yes. yes. That's right. Key yeah. West. Key West, yeah. Hey, Maki. <laughs> <laughs> and and we, I mean, we're talking about the, we're talking about songs off the Symbol album played on the Diamonds and Pearls tour. But then, obviously, once that tour wrapped up, he went on to the Act One, Act Two tour, and then continued playing a, a good number of those same songs and a few new ones as well. You know, in in '93, I think it was. So, a, a lot of these songs have been played live, really. When you think about it, uh, in, in some form or another. Which Ooh, usually you're lucky you save that comment with that line. <laughs> yeah, and and you know whether they're snippets or not. The, the point is that I, for one, always find it interesting. Right after Prince releases an album, just keeping an eye on how much material he plays on that album uh, and keeping an ear out, because for some reason, and I don't know why, to me, it's it's it seems like the less new material he plays, and I know this is going to sound cliche, but I kind of get the feeling that maybe the belief behind that new material isn't as strong as, as something else. And here, 91, 92, 93, he's playing at least half of most of his concerts uh, consist of 91, 92 uh, songs. So I think that's interesting as well in, during this time period. Without further ado, I think we should start at track one. What do you guys think? Unless someone's got any major commentary about the era or the period, I think we'll probably get to all that when we discuss the songs. So I'll start this off. Um, my, my thoughts on track number one, My Name is Prince. And I'll let you guys, I'll leave you guys to battle it out based on what I'm about to say. 
This is uh, an audacious opening number by him. One of the stranger opening tracks on on a Prince album that I can think of. From the point of view that it's so self-referencing, obviously the title, but some of the other things that he talks about in the song are so... I don't know. If this is his humour, I just don't get it, I guess. And there's nothing wrong with that, but that's my opinion. In my opinion, he's trying too hard. The beat is average. There's no real memorable melody here. There's a very good line, though. There's a great line in the lyrics that talks about big cars and women, fancy clothes. They'll save your face, but they won't save your soul. And there's another one about, you know, I've seen the mountaintop and it's just a dream and all this kind of stuff. That, that was really cool to me. I think those are probably some of the most in, insightful uh, lyrics that he's put to paper. And that's cool. And then after that, Tony M comes in and ruins this completely. I mean, it was, a, <laughs> it was, already, it was already on the down, on the down slope. But Tony N comes in and he just destroys this song in the worst possible way and makes it even more self-indulgent, self-important. And, you know, the crazy thing about this track is he talks about his name is Prince and he's funky. To me, this song isn't really funky at all. It's just trying too hard. What? Way too hard in every department. This is a skipper for me. And I think... If this album opened up with track number two, Sexy MF, it would be such, such a better opening and a cooler opening too at that. So, um, gentlemen, start your engines. Lawrence, I mean, uh, player? I kind of agree with you. I Like, musically, there's not a lot there. It's just really a beat and a really deep bass groove to it. Mm. But I'm, I'm kind of like you. I'm kind of, I, I want to know what the point of the song is because like he's 15 years or so into his career and he puts out a song like this it's kind of like introducing himself but it's like we know who he is mm. and every musical element in the song sounds nothing like him you know if he says my name is prince and it has those prince elements in it you know i might buy the song a bit more but like i, I really don't the only thing that i can think of is that he knew maybe that he was going to change his name and like he's put this song on there to sort of differentiate between himself now as prince and then in the future as the symbol so maybe he had it in his head that he was going to become another another identity but really i don't know what the purpose of the song is i have heard that it's an influence of ll cool j's mama said knock you out which ll brought that out at a time when you know a lot of he had critics and they were sort of doubting his abilities and name and he sort of brought that song out to sort of like tell people what time it is in terms of like who he was and stuff i mean if that's the direct influence i don't really hear that here with prince but i mean i listen to it i like it it's, i enjoy the song but it's I, I just don't get the song more than anything but yeah that's all I have to say, really. Yeah, interesting. Just before we go to the other guys, on the back of that, I might add that, you know, he's talking about how great he is. And, you know, if you want to play with him, you've got to learn the rules. And look, I, I know it's Prince, so it's probably tongue-in-cheek and it's his sense of humor. But even so, I don't find it funny in the slightest. It's not, like I said, without sounding like a broken record, he, he, he's got, you know, if you look at the single release, the artwork for it, everything about the song, the visuals are so pretentious, over the top. You know, he's wearing this... <laughs> This what what can only be defined as a laughable outfit, um, trying to hype up his you know street cred with this gun shaped mic and a like a policeman's cap with chains hanging off the front of it. You know he looks like I don't even know what he looks like. He, he just looks like a cross dressing safari expo tour guide slash cop slash 
you know, S&M bondage type. Wow, um, you're going harsh, man. Street performer. Like, this is this is absolutely ridiculous. Like, in the word, you know, when I say, like, she's all, always in my hair is ridiculous. Endorphin Machine is ridiculous. 3121 is ridiculous. Those songs are ridiculous in the best possible way. This song and this whole concept is ridiculous in the worst possible way. This was probably only upped by his 1991 arseless cheek MTV appearance in my books. <laughs> and you know what? I've, I've got nothing else to say about it. I told you. Kind of sort of in agreement. Maybe not that negative about it. It's I imagine sense of this... humour. I'm not being negative. <laughs> I imagine this sort of just came out of a bit of a fun jam rap kind of thing. But at the same time, it's like, well, is that really what you want to put as your first track for the album? Like, And I, I agree. It's like, it's kind of... It's trying to be funny, but it's just not really funny. Um, but but the song is so thick as well. Like there's scratches, there's loads of percussion, there's samples all over the place, and it's just too much. It's like you, you kind of lose what it's trying to be. It's just it's trying to be everything at once, and it's it's none of them. I have to agree with the visuals. As you were saying that, I was thinking of the video clip, and you know they're all. You remember the video clip where it's at night time, and there's like a gang, and there's a fire going around, and there's cop cars, and and then you have Prince in his heels like dancing around <laughs> <laughs> on the top of a car. It's so yeah. ridiculous. <laughs> It's funny. And even the lyrics, like, if it's going to be funny, be funny. But it's like, it's all the stuff about till I get your daughter. And it's like, is that is that funny? I don't know. Um, <laughs> I agree that the rap is completely unnecessary. And I always, I pretty much skip it by the time the rap comes along. In fact, I think I, I listen to the edit version without the rap and it's much better. But having said that, that, because it's so thick, there is a lot to listen out for. So in that respect, it's interesting to listen to, but it's not something that is at all memorable or at all something you want to go back and listen to. There we go. Yeah, it's almost like the song itself is a caricature of the caricature that Prince is making himself out yeah. to be, if that makes and any sense. And actually, part of that could be, it could be the intent of it was to go along with this whole storyline, with the, you know, the Egyptian storyline. And in that sense, it, I don't want to say it works, but I can kind of see what he was trying to do with it. It's like, okay, here's the introduction track where this is Prince going crazy, and then it's the story's going to follow from there. So it's kind of like picking up the story from from this point. Okay, this is the point we're at. Prince is a mega superstar, and this is the song to sort of show that before they go into the story. And and if you and if a, as a fan you have to do all that work to try and unravel it, I think that's just too much to put on <laughs> exactly on, onto an exactly. audience. But I, th- I think I think that's Actually, what the intent might have been. Actually, you brought up a point that I haven't really thought of about much. You know, he opens up with this track, My Name is Prince. I mean, we'll get to the end of the album, but by the end of the album, he's talking about, you know, my name's Victor. I know that's a joke and all that, but a lot of people <laughs> thought that was real to the point where he had to come out and say, my name's not Victor. But, like, you know, maybe there, like, well, obviously there was a storyline, so, you know, but it didn't sort of really come through on the album. works a lot better on that video that he released. But maybe there was, a, you know, because they took a lot of the segues out of it and it may, you know, became more... Um, you know, more confusing, but maybe there was, like, in its original form, like, the intention was the start of it's My Name is Prince, and then it sort of evolves into something else. So maybe you you are right in that regard. Maybe. I've actually got an idea with the MC said he thinks maybe that the name change was planned before this. I actually, I actually think what happened is he had this song, which was originally just a fun little song, and then he's using it as the main song of his new album, which is the Warner Brothers thing, and it's and I can imagine him singing this, you know, night after night, my name is Prince, and then it's like I can imagine him just getting to the point like, just who who am I after all? And that kind of started the name change things. That's my guess. That's that's like your um, that's the equivalent of your theory about bringing out rock and roll love affair as the lead single of Andy Uller's <laughs> Superconductor <laughs> album. Do you remember that? 
<laughs> no, but that sounds very plausible to me. <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, if the three of us are done with this, let's throw it to Captain. And I'm holding my tongue at the moment. Captain, um, what are your thoughts on My Name is Prince? I'm going to have to talk very fast because I have about three pages written to say about this song. So get ready. And if you don't like this song, you can just skip at least... 10 minutes right now. Where do we start with this song? This was the second single from the album. Came out as a normal single and it also got maxi single release and it had a whole bunch of remixes. Some were good, 50 some million were average. remixes. 50 there million were of them. 50 million. <laughs> um, more like, I think, maybe 9 or 10, but 50 million is close enough. I love this song. I love that it's the first song on this album and it's up there with my favorite tracks on this album. It's in the top three. So, MC, you can just stick it. Actually, all of you, you all said it wasn't that good and it's the best song. It's bloody great. Now, first of all, go get your Cream Maxi singles out and go to the track Get Some Solo or you get off Remix EP if you've got it, the German one. It's also on there. Skip to 10 seconds in and that's where we start with that sample. You know what sample I'm talking about, don't you? Does anyone know? It's the sample that goes, Chuka, yeah! Uh, that great sample. <laughs> it's the whole basis. It's the whole basis of this song. And it came wow. from the stuff before it. That sample, it's on a few other tracks on the Cream EP, but on Get Some Solo, it's the easiest one to hear it. So go and listen to that. And see, that's one of the things that is so great. He reuses these tiny little things. And once you go and listen to everything he's ever done, you notice so many times he's done that. And that is what like blows my mind. It just sometimes every time you make a connection oh that tiny little one second thing which was in that song he put it in this song and like made a whole song things like that it's crazy so i'm gonna say it my name is prince basically evolved from cream into the cream maxi single and from there into my name is prince so this is just a remix of cream really that's all it is that's what i'm saying (laughs) i never thought of it like that and it makes sense now actually yeah there you go here we are with all our theories about what it all means and captain's probably got it oh i've got i've got pages and pages now, I have to mention, in according to the booklet, came with Symbol Album, this is this is the one-man band job. This was just him, except for Tony M's rap. So that should just blow your head off right there. This is just all him. Yeah, but it's not that great, so why should it blow my head off, Captain? It is that great. You're just a, a, a weird person. That's all. I'm weird. <laughs> exactly. The guy without the mic, the golden microphone, and <laughs> whatever that hat. This is okay. by far the worst part of the show. Okay, yep, go. Okay, so you've got this funky bass, which I always thought was sunny, but it's it's Prince. And then you've got the I Want to Be Your Lover and controversy references. And then you get your headphones on. It's a really cool percussion thing go- going on there. And then you get to the vocals. And this is one of his best vocal performances on this album, I think, which is total opposite to what MC said. He said it was horrible. He was trying too hard, but it's excellent. And he had the same issue with radio asking, what is he saying? I did not come to funk around. What a lot of rubbish. It was the same with Erotic City. Yeah, right. He just says that. So the radio <laughs> he just says to the radio, yeah, it's funk. Of course it is, yeah. And then they play it. It's fine. Even though it's so obviously not what he's saying. It's just, it's classic. Oh, man. The lyrics, they're just classic. Prince, in the beginning, God made the sea, but on the seventh day, he made me. And that's straight away. That's the first thing in the song. It's just, and all you guys said, oh, it's supposed to be funny. It's pretentious. Oh, it's, you, oh, I don't even know how to explain it's oh, it's not pretentious, but it's also not meant to be funny either. No, so it's just whack. Maybe. Wiggity wiggity whack. Maybe. It's somewhere in the middle. I think that's the problem. It's somewhere it's not it's trying to be funny, but it's not trying to be funny and it's it's neither or. Oh, I don't know. Those lyrics oh, they're excellent. And see, here's a lyric. Tell, somebody tell me what it's about. I know what it's about, but let's see if anyone else knows. He says I've got two sides and they're both friends. Gemini? Gemini. Yes. See? Oh wow. Wow. 
How incredible. <laughs> you see the, depth, yeah. the depth of these lyrics, man. It blows you away. Yeah. <laughs> I love the, the grunts and the heavy breaths at the end of every line. And to me, that is such just a Michael Jackson reference. Whether anyone else hears it, I don't know. That's. I was going to say that, actually. This, to this me, song, to me, exactly. sounds like the most it was trying to capture that dangerous sound of yeah. all the songs on the album. But see, there's the other thing. Was he doing it on purpose or not? Was he doing it as a joke? Or was he doing it just to try and grab onto the, you know, the latest famous thing? Well, I think it was all the above, Captain. There's lyrical references in there, too. The must become yeah. a prince before you're king. And... I know. That's what I've got right here. My name is mm. Prince. I don't want to be king because I've seen mm. the top and it's just the dream. Uh, MC said that before. Big cars and women, fancy clothes will save your face. Because Michael Jackson's face fell off. That's why. Mm-hmm. It's, there's so many references in there. It's just great. Yeah, but they've denied it's it's got of nothing to do with it. Of course they have. What, are the, what yeah, else can they say? They have, but... What else can they say? Oh, yeah, of course it was. And you got the King reference to King of Pop. You've got the reference to saving your face because of plastic surgery. <laughs> now, I can see it being totally about that, but also not being about that at all. It could have just been an innocent thing and nothing at all. But we're never going to know, so forget it. Uh, there's all these cool little guitar bits all over this song. They're not like great solos. They're just great little screaming one notes just all over the place. And the tone of the guitar, it's so crunchy, you can eat it. It's just very great. And it's I'm an not- edible song, is it, Captain? It is. <laughs> Is Captain Crunchy. I told you I was going to talk forever about this song. Then we get to Tony M, right? For not one rap, not two raps, three verses of raps by Tony M. Yay. Knock your socks off, Tony. Exactly. Yay. What a start to the album. I couldn't have been happier when I got this album. I listened to this song, and then I got to Tony M do the rap, and then I'm like, oh, that was a good rap. And then he did a second rap, and then he did a third rap. It was so bloody good. For those that couldn't get enough of him on Diamonds and Pearls, he came back, and he just... He was back for even more. Now, this is a good rap, though. This is one of his better raps. I really like his flow on this rap. Uh, it's good good delivery. Another supposed MJ reference in there with the yeah, player said, you must become a prince before you're king anyway. And yet, Tony M denied it, but oh, who cares? <laughs> now, there's only one more thing I have to say about this song, and I'm done. We have the line in this song, which brought on a totally new meaning around October <laughs> <that's> 10. <laughs> And I'm just going to say a little line from the song here. Passion flows, who knows what lurks in the gallows of my mind. I put my foot in the ass of Jim Crow. (laughs) (laughs) Captain puts his foot in his mouth in New York City. (laughs) And then then it's a little bit of the song, and then it's over. And that's all i got to say. Oh, gosh, that brings back memories, Captain, I'm telling you. One of the funniest moments of my life, without a doubt. For anyone who's listened to our, our New York episode, you know what we're talking about, so we won't harp on about that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, go and listen to it. Where, where have you been? All right, so with that, let's go into track number two. It is Sexy MF. In a word or two, shoot, I want to do. No, not your body, your mind, your fool. Come here, baby. Yeah. You sexy mother... I'll let uh, play up start us off with this yeah i really like this track to me it sounds very james brownie very organic i think it's recorded really well too everything sounds really nicely recorded the drums and the horns and all the elements that come with it they're really nicely recorded even prince's rap is okay for prince standards i don't know i don't really have a lot to say about it i, I really enjoy it and i think it's a ballsy uh single release especially first single to sort of get people into the project yeah that's it. Toe Jam. Uh, this song kind of oozes cool, doesn't it? It's straight James Brown sort of groove with a real classic funk turnaround. Dun, 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 dun. 
And for me, I, what I love the most about the song is the bass, probably. Just listening to the bass bubbling along all the way through. Sonny T doing an excellent job. And something that I love too, which I only really picked up on recently, is whenever it does the, the turnaround, da, 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 you sexy mother. And if you listen really carefully in the background, you just hear the bass go, Wow. It's really, really sweet. Have a listen out for it on the headphones. I also love the drums in this too, the way the drums build. Like, it's a pretty simple beat with the accents going on, but I like the way it sort of stays on the hi-hat the whole way, but then at 4 minutes 20, uh, Michael Bland finally goes to the ride cymbal and sort of builds a bit, and then there's that big double turnaround with the saxophone solo doing that big thing, and then there's these massive three crashes when it comes back in. Just, you know, smash, smash, smash. Just awesome stuff. Horns uh, doing a great job. Also a bit of a band feature as well. It's Levi gets a little solo. Tommy gets a solo. Some of the horns get solos. Tony M gets a rap solo, which, again, is completely unnecessary and probably spoils the song a bit. Prince's rap, you know, I, I don't know what on earth he's singing about. He's just singing whack stuff, but it's kind of cool at the same time. Uh, it's just all about the groove of the song, and it's all about the fun as well. Like, I don't think it's really supposed to be taken that seriously, and I don't think they ever did. So in that sense, it's a good, fun, cool song. Yeah, I agree. Um that it's a fun track, like in a way that the the previous track wasn't. This is completely tongue in cheek, but it actually kind of makes me chuckle. Um, some of the lines in this, both from Tony M and from Prince, I think you know Tony M is fairly criticised with most of his contributions to Prince's work. But this one I can stand only because, as I think both Player and Tojam said, the groove is so tight and so funky and it's just, there's a party element to it. It's a, it's a pretty massive party track, really, when you think about it. And the subject matter, I don't really need to go into or, or explain any further. It's all in, in the title of the song. And um, really, from that point of view, it's a, you could almost take it as a ballad to just hotness <laughs> of the female persuasion and uh you know i love listening to it i think musically it's got a lot going for it like you guys said the horns are ridiculous funky tommy's keys are just off the hook one of my favorite expressions in a prince song is when prince says something like you know tommy tommy b scrub the dishes and then tommy does these really really cool um key solos levi's guitar solo is cool as ice uh, it's just a rich party jam in the James Brown mold, but it's added that extra oomph. Like, I could never imagine James Brown singing some of these lyrics, and certainly not the, the chorus. Prince just gets away with it because he himself is one sexy MF. And uh, let's move on to Captain. This was the lead single. It came out three and a half months before the album did. This single came out two weeks after Thunder was released as a single in the UK. That's how close it was. That's crazy. I can't think of an example. This sounds like James Brown. Now, there's just bits all over the place, but there's nothing exactly that you can, like, grab and go, that, that's that's James Brown bit, but it's there. And it's not just the horns, and you've got the sustained guitar chords and the cool beat with the, the snares on the one and the four of eight bars instead of four. It's just good. you got the cool little organ swirls there, not to mention some of the coolest lyrics he's ever written in his entire career. Everyone knows every word to this song. Now, here's the question. Who sings the actual title of this song in the chorus? Is it Levi? Levi. Yeah, it's, it's Levi. Levi. Yeah. I'd always thought it was Levi. I thought it was Levi, but then MC was just going, oh, Prince can sing it because he's, he's a sexy MF. And I'm like, oh, it's not him. I always thought it was That's Levi right. for the for the very purpose of doing it live. So it's like it's almost like when they did the 1999 and they split up the vocals. It's the same thing. It's like they've done that so it'll translate live. No, well, the story is that Levi just 
sang that chorus around whilst on tour, like during the nude tour and Diamonds of Pearls. And he would he would just go around, you sexy mother, and like Prince took that and then built a song around it. Oh. So that's why he sings the, the, the chorus part of it, because he actually sung it that way. He made it. Ooh. He made it, yeah, yeah. And that's why he's, he's, he's got like the um, co-write credit or the, the song credit in the... It's Prince oh. Tony Levi because he actually came up with that part of the song. Okay, there's a cool bit at two, or on my version, it's at 2.50. There's like a quiet bit, and in the background, you can hear a finger snap and a clap. Go and listen to it. It's just so funky. Even in the studio, they, they couldn't help themselves. They just had to do that. But what a song. You've got the little horn solo, then organ solo, and then the coolest guitar solo, and then, you know, it has to be a good part of the song. 3.32, we have the unstoppable Tony M. Now, that's just the part I wait for every time. Now, see, I don't think he's MC's that unstoppable. Said, I skip him every time. <laughs> MC said, this, paraphrasing, this is one of his better raps that he can stand. I think this is one of the worst on the album. As much as I like Tony M, his rap on this song is not great. I wouldn't even say it was good. It's, it's Come not on, good. Come on, man. Lock up your doors, protect your daughter. The sexy MF's so fine. I'll drink her bath water. Come on, man. That's just, that's just poetry, man. That's, that's poetry. <laughs> that's the best. <laughs> no, there's better than that. There's, there's much better. Out of everything on this album and Diamonds and Pearls, I think this is not the best rap that he's done. The best bit of this whole song is a little vocal bit it's 408 to 418 where they're singing sexy mf shaking that ass it's really good that bit's great now to the awful awful censored versions i think it must have been because an official censored version didn't come out fast enough all the radio stations started making their own dodgy edits terrible and the results were terrible exactly it almost put me off the song that was so bad. Like the, the ooh at the start of this song. They'd put that, you sexy mother ooh. And that was just the worst, <laughs> the worst thing you, you've ever heard. The worst yeah. one I ever heard was the, you sexy mother hour. But that's the official censored version. That's the official one, yeah. That's the official one. You know this album came out in a limited edition in a, in a gold box? Yeah. With a purple symbol on the front? I had that, and somehow that was the censored version. And I also got the normal version, which was normal. But yeah, there were some really bad edits made of this, and that's where I need to finish talking about this song. Oh, we're on that, actually. Another funny one <laughs> was uh, when Rashida played it in the O2. Whenever she played it, it would be like, you sexy mother, and then they'd mix with the, everybody dance now. <laughs> <laughs> dun, 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 dun. You sexy mother, everybody dance now. <laughs> but again, that's an official version. Wasn't it like 2007? Well, it's like... He put out a, a remix it's of like Sexy Mother. It's DJ. It's DJ. But there was a version played. Oh, I don't know if there it was. There was, yeah. There was a version played. Yeah. And that was an, another, another official edited version of it. I guarantee you guys that no general Prince fans listen to our show. <laughs> <laughs> Some of the stuff we go into is absolutely insane. Anyway, that's all about that. Actually, what um, Toadjam was saying about the turnaround, I liked on the tour how they took the horn turnaround and, and kind of, I don't know how to describe it, but the only way I can describe yeah, yeah. it is like inverting it. They sort of like spun it around. It was really cool. Yeah, yeah. You know, to make it a little bit different live, they just took it and inverted it. It's just really cool how they did that turnaround part. Uh, yes. Uh, so, uh, Maverick, uh, what would you say about uh, Sexy MF when you're listening to it in the cockpit? I think I believe it's inverted. Uh, no. <laughs> 
that that's sounds a, like a that's a police gun or joke, isn't that's it? Yeah. No, no, it's well, actually it's Top Gun. I didn't you guys didn't get it? Yeah. Maverick, that famous inverted scene. No, no one. Uh, okay, no. It's like the best scene in the whole movie. I've never even seen Top Gun. You're kidding, Toe Jam. Back me up, someone. I haven't seen it since I was like eight. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh god! All right, MC watches it weekly. <laughs> okay, um, let's go into track number three, and it of course is Love to the Nines. Love to the nines. Uh, let's let Toe Jam start start off his thoughts uh, of track number three. Uh, okay, I'm very tempted right now to say song of the album, but I'm just checking that album again in case. Well, it's it's up there. It's maybe one or two. Oh, uh, this is a brilliant song. Arrangement, arrangement, arrangement. It doesn't get any better than this, arrangement-wise. I'll say that word again, arrangement. It's such an interesting song. It's so thick, but unlike My Name is Prince, everything seems to fit. And it's like this It's this thing all, all of its own. It's got a pretty light kind of go-go beat to start with. You know, Michael Bland playing on the rims. It's kind of moving around a bit. You've got the call and response between the verse and the music, where he's like, you know, da-da-da-da. Then the music, dun-dun-dun, instead of answering the verse each time. Great use of horns all the way through. Nice little cup-muted trumpet as well. Always very tasty. And I like the way when it gets to the chorus, the chorus is just really different. And it's interesting in that the chords and the bass line are kind of descending, um, but the horns chords are rising. But then his, the vocal sort of chorus in the middle is just sort of staying sort of in the middle there. It sort of goes up and down a little bit, but uh, but it builds as well throughout that. Uh, then in the second chorus, you've got the same thing again, but you've got the strings, arpeggios going all through it. It's crazy, crazy stuff. I even like the rap section in this. Well, if you call the rap, but anyway, when it goes into the sort of hip hop section, it kind of it completely goes in a different direction, but it fits really well. Uh, and you've got some weird xylophone stuff going on there, and you've got that section with you know when uh, Tony M's interviewing Maite, you know what's your name, what's your age. That's a really cool that bit. I think that's awesome. I don't know why. And then they're all you know, what are they chanting? I'm forgetting. Uh, How the booty boom? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Make the booty boom. That's that's a really cool idea. And the horns are going crazy there, building up big swells and all this sort of thing. And then it breaks down with Prince going, yo, check this out. And as he says that, he says, yo, check this out. And you hear in the background this guitar going, Reep! really cool. Uh, then he's got his little breakdown thing. And he gets pretty serious there. You know, he's going, I ask thee. He wants to know, will you give me love to the nines? It's getting real serious and dark. Um, but then it comes back at around 4.35. It's still in that hip-hop rap section, but the, the intro is sort of coming back. And then at 4 minutes 54, you've got that super turnaround at the end where it's all just descending and falling, coming back into place. Listen to that bit, 4.54, the last, I don't know, minute or so. That is an amazing piece of composition. From all of the MPG, the, the horns, the MPG, Prince's stuff as well, the vocals just doing those, oh, coming down, very operatic. It's a brilliant song, so much in it. Wow, I want to go listen to it again. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Yeah, the show is really heating up now, isn't it? Player, what are your thoughts on Love to the Nines? Yeah, I like it too. I first got a taste of it on that B-side, To Whomever It May Concern. That video sort of came out, and you had like the teaser of each song. And when I heard that, I thought, oh, wow, that's... I really liked the, the sort of... It was um, the multi-layered vocals, and I thought, oh, that sounds really, really cool. And then you listen to the song, it, it's very different because it's got sort of more the organic sound to it, but I really, really liked it. And yeah, like with the um, opening of this uh, episode, it has probably one of my favourite Prince lyrics of all time. Would you lie down on a bed of thorns while I lick your ocean dry? I mean, that's... <laughs> that's... um. 
That's like when you think about it, like how much pain are you willing to go through for pleasure? It's pretty cool. Like it's, you know, only something that Prince could think of. But yeah, every other musical element, like the guitars or horns, I like the way the, the, way the horns swell, the, the way the Prince describes it, you know, swell horns or whatever he says, but how they sort of, sort of fade in and out, that's really, really cool. I like the song. It's, I don't know if I'd say it's my most love song or best song, but I, I, I do rate it highly. It's a pretty cool song. Yeah, Love Tonight. Cool. All right. Let's go straight on to Captain with this one. Captain, what are your thoughts? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's always, I always thought this was just a bit of a weird one. He's switching between the jazzy piano chords and the, the big descending chorus, and the, you know, the, the hip-hop with the, the bass lines and the scratchy-scratchy. Oh, I don't know. I don't know about this song. This, oh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't have anything to say about this song. Like Jam said, the last minute is pretty interesting. There's all the vocals and everything, but just overall, uh, not not my favourite song at all. And that's that. I'll round the review of this song out for us. I, I love the intro guitar. I know it's only very very quick, but I just I find it's a, it's a cool lick. And then the chords, the horns, the drums, the keys, the, the keyboard come in, and whoever said arrangement, I think it was Toe Jam, is completely on point it was some of the best arranging of his career and some of the best playing by the mpg i think on the back of that but the arrangement is taken too far i think with those breakdown sections they just oh i said wickedy 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 whack before and i'm gonna have to use that phrase again because it's just arrangement compounded too much by indulgence he's just going out on a limb here with with some of these weird weird ass turns from the beginning of the track to about two minutes 10 two minutes 12 absolute pure bliss and again toe jam i think said the, the arrangement is on point it is really stunning for that period then from about 212 to 250 it's still it's still going places and there's a bit of a change there's a shift in the groove and that's nice but then from 250 to 350 or, or around that point, it's just whack. I don't know what he's doing. The booty boom and that kind of pseudo-interview, pseudo-intellectual answers that go along with that. I just, oh man, they rub me the wrong way. I think it's trying too hard to be something overtly cool and it fails dism- dismally there. And then, it, and this is the thing, the crazy thing about this track is from 350 to about 420, it becomes really good again, or, or it's getting there at least. And then from about 420 to the end of the track is unbelievable like that last minute or so minute and a half is just insane the horns the the like, like tojem said the swirls and just the interaction between the band is nuts off the chain off the hook so really for me it's like half of this song is some of the best work he's ever done i think compositionally but the other half it just you know what it is it's it's all those diamonds and pearls era breakdowns that really get me in a bad place put me in a bad position i'm really not feeling them i find they're just too try hard and unfortunately the, the song suffers for it I think this one's spared, though, in that it doesn't have the, the actual rap. Well, it doesn't, but it, it's got, in my mind, it's got something even worse. It's like, it's just got pretension all over the shop, and that's why I think it's flawed. Um, yeah, the, the album's kind of flawed in that sense, because, again, it's like they're, they're trying to put that storyline into it, and this is like, oh, so there's this girl that they're interviewing, and, you know, it's it's all kind of, that's what it's supposed to be, but it, it just never really finished. The story was never really thought out as well as it perhaps should have been yeah the 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 story was haphazard the music is on fire though and um i just i'd love to hear like an instrumental version of this without all the other stuff 
is the only word I can use to describe it in in uh, in different sections of this of this track. But with that, um, let's move straight from track number three into track number four, the morning papers. Uh, let's get Captain to start us off with this one, The Morning Papers. This is, again, one of the best songs on this album. It was the fifth single, and how many guitar solos? How many do you need? There's more than enough. It's great. And the funniest thing, though, in the video, he's wearing blue jeans. He's wearing blue jeans. Hilarious. And, and a flannel shirt, even funnier. Yeah, yeah he's come for that uh, grunge. He's going for the grunge man. Yeah. Oh, it's classic, the video. Even with the obvious mistakes in that video, it's just a, it's a cool, cool video. I don't have much to say about this song, except I love it. It's just great. The vocals, the, everything. The drums, the bass, the guitar, it's all good. And all the guitar solos. And that's the, all I can say about it. All I can remember, I was in some rubbish band at the time, and we did a cover of this song, and we changed all the lyrics, of course, and it was about a fat guy, and he had to go to Jenny Craig, <laughs> but then... <laughs> but then he had to get back in time to get his morning papers. <laughs> but then he drowned, and Bonnie Boyer got framed for his murder. That's all I can remember, but it was a great, great song. What? I have great <laughs> memories of this song. <laughs> wow. <laughs> for that reason. Insane. That's all. No okay. wonder Prince doesn't like covers. Okay, yeah, that's right. A player. Yeah, I like. I really like this song too. It's it's really well produced and it sounds really nice and organic and the lyrics are good. It's kind of I kind of sense that it's it's continuing on the story and it's really sort of directed at Maite or the Maite character or whatever it was supposed to be at that time because you know she was billed as sixteen year old when she was actually much older and yeah it was just a kind of weird and this sort of song you know is about age and relationships. I don't know. I'm not saying it's kind of an R. Kelly kind of song, but it's, you know, it's kind of like... (laughs) But do you know what I'm saying? It's kind of like saying, you know, what's age got to do with it if, if... if the person, if the, the the couple's in love, I don't know. It's just, it's kind of like a little bit weird in that regard. But it's it's it is a really nice song. You just tainted that song for me. I never thought about it that way. No, but it, like if you really pay attention, yeah. it, it kind of is like that. But it's sort of like you know, loving sort of someone quite innocent. But yeah, like musically, it's really nice. The horns, especially the horns, and like the video. I don't know. Like it, it, the video kind of bothers me when he was wearing like what you were saying, what he was wearing because. You know, MC was talking about trying too hard for something. Like, by this time, grunge has really taken off. And, like, you know, more and more people were sort of, like, moving away from Prince and stuff like that. And to me, he was really trying to capture the... or, or go with that trend, with the grunge trend. And on a song like this, it, do, it doesn't really work. But, you know, I just... I just, It was just frustrating. I thought, like, why would you... Why would you sort of dress like that or, like, try to go for that? Just do your own thing sort of thing. And, like, I, I didn't really like that. Like, it seemed like he was going for that sort of thing to sort of latch onto the, the grunge. Maybe he wasn't, but, like, that's how it did come off, so. But otherwise, I, I really like the song. I think it's good. All right, all right. Every time I think of this video and the fact that he's wearing the jeans, I can just hear Morris saying from some song, he's like, blue jeans? How the hell are you going to get in the club wearing blue jeans? <laughs> I can't remember what song it is, but does anyone remember what it is? Mm-hmm. It might have been something on Exodus or something where Morris is going on about how are you going to get in the club wearing blue jeans? Get your groove on. 
Yeah, that maybe. Could be it. Yeah. yeah. Which is one of my favourite songs. <laughs> he won blue jeans in Little Red Corvette. Like, it's not the first time. I know, but since then, he's always <laughs> made fun of, like, you know, people who wear jeans are cowboys. And then he went back to it, which you know what? Makes it, me it, laugh. He, should, he should come out in a pair of tight jeans at, in, uh, at the Montreux show. Montreux. That'd be a, just a laugh, wouldn't it? <laughs> just for you. Yeah, exactly. Just doesn't sound right, does it? The way, the way I said that. <laughs> what is this show about, anyway? The music or. Okay, so me three. Gentlemen, uh, I agree with with virtually everything you guys have said. This is an immaculate piece of music, really. I absolutely love, and love with a capital L, at the sake of sounding lame, love this song. Everything about it. It is incredible to listen to from a sound quality point of view, from a production point of view, from an arrangement point of view, from a storytelling point of view. I mean, the very strong songwriting here. Again, this is one of those songs that I believe should stand up as a as a Prince standard. Um, and I don't use that term loosely. I don't want to overuse it. I know I've mentioned other songs that I think deserve that acclaim, but I think this is definitely a Prince standard, should be anyway. He was obviously he, highly... He more more live, this song. Yeah. Yeah, Montreux 13, uh, 2013. <laughs> That'd be nuts with the horn <laughs> section. Yeah, you're right. This is the kind of song that you, that could really explode on a live stage in the right setting. He was obviously highly inspired and motivated here. You can hear it in his voice. You can hear it in the story. You can hear it in the music. Yeah, definitely. Um, The band sounds absolutely magnificent. His voice is raw. The guitar playing is raw. It's just stellar, isn't it? I mean, great guitar solo, solos, to Captain's point about how many solos do you need? This is one of the outstanding tracks on this album and in his discography. And, you know, it's in a way, it's brilliant because of its simplicity but you, you know those songs that you listen to and you just yeah, that, think that could be it I couldn't I had nothing to say about this song you know yeah. it sounds great it's a nice song it's got guitar solos but when you like a song that much it is a pretty simple song yeah it's, you know it's verse, chorus, verse, chorus a bunch of solos and that's it and you don't and need to. Yeah, yeah, you don't need to overcomplicate it. You know, some, some of the most beautiful pieces of music um, ever written especially in the pop realm have been relatively simple on the, at least on the surface when you listen to it, and I think that's what it's all about. And this is it's just a great example. This is top shelf Prince on any album in any genre. This is the stuff right here. So um, with that, let's go to Toe Jam. I have to pretty much agree with everyone. I think it's a very good song. Listening to it now, actually, I think it sort of sounds like something off Emancipation. I don't know why I think that. With better production. A, <laughs> yeah, it's a big, big rock ballad. It's Kevin Smith's favorite Prince song, apparently. Even at, you know, at, after a minute and eight seconds, you're into a guitar solo. It's like, oh, we're into the guitar solo section yeah. already. I don't really have much more to add. It's, uh, it's got another really good turnaround, that na, 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 na. And then he turns that into the outro of the song and solos all over it. And Michael Bland's going crazy, doing crazy fills. Like, oh, yeah. just a really nicely arranged song again. Builds really well. goes crazy at the end. Lyrics are a bit suspect in some ways. But, you know, he's obviously putting his heart out there, so can't knock him for that. So it's a very interesting song and a very big song on the album, I suppose. Tojem, as a horn player, uh, do you have any thoughts about not necessarily how the horns are arranged because they are fairly simple, usually just, you know, a line here and a line there or even just a note, really. They're just holding notes a lot of the times in harmony. Um, I think... Yeah, what are your thoughts the, on that? Well, I mean, on, on this one, the horns are... They sound great and it sounds like it sounds like a big horn section, like this probably like six, maybe five or six players when they're doing those big thick chords. Mm. But unlike, you know, some of the other albums that he came later would he use the MPG horns, they're a bit more a bit more arranged, a bit more funky. 
In, in this one, they're, they're, they're more of a colour, more so than a, like playing crazy lines, if that makes sense. Yeah. At least in this song, anyway. Yeah, and I, 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 for one, love that. I love that, how they yeah, just no, kind yeah, of... Yeah, it's different, different. Yeah. They, they almost, they seep in to the... Um, yeah, they it blend. It almost gives yeah, it a, an orchestral yeah. feel, eh? It gives it yeah. kind of like what Claire Fisher was adding earlier. Actually, that's a good comparison, isn't it? It's like the horns are, are the string section, in a way. In, yeah. in the background especially yeah. in, in this song and in Love to the Nines especially mm. one other thing with this song and all the guitar solos remember when Peach came out it was exactly the same it's just guitar solo and then another guitar solo and then another guitar solo oh it was excellent <laughs> it just reminded me of that Captain's obviously a fan of this era oh um, yeah as it's the I. best it's the best but don't worry guys because um, for our next track The Max is in control track number 5 the Max. When the going gets tougher, then the sun can go. I grind the axe. That's when I go, I go, I go to the max. I go. Yo, baby, tell me where the party's at. What rhymes with Max? It's the wax? Max. It's wax? No. <laughs> uh, is it wax? Um, okay. Who's there? Any, any fans in the house right here? Uh, let me just take it to someone with all the silence around. Um, player. Uh, I don't. I don't really have a lot to say about this song because it's there's nothing really memorable that stands out, and it's a very, to my ears, it's a very busy song. There's like sort of lots going on, but nothing. I don't know. There's there's lots going on, but nothing. You know that comes out of it. It's just yeah. It's just like the only thing that I that really draws my attention is the the sort of piano, the piano chords and the piano noodling. That's really cool. But everything else is just really a beat, some scratches. You know the dun 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 thing that runs through it, but you know, I mean, there's nothing really that like I listen to it. I don't skip it. I listen to it, but really, it is a skippable song. There's you know, there's nothing really that that I can remember of it. So yeah, that's I don't really have a lot to say about it because there's not much going on. It doesn't really say anything other than he's going to take it to the max. But you know, <laughs> I mean, really, what's the song about, really? Pepsi, Pepsi Max. No, do you, do you know what I mean? Like, what's what's he trying to say in the song? Like, if you're saying something meaningful, like, fair enough. But, but it's just, it, not, just yeah. it just kind of sounds like a hype song that kind of fits this era where he's like my name is prince <laughs> yeah like yeah exactly oh, it's, it's no. kind of like it's, it's just a hype song it's just hype like you know let's get hype pretty much it's kind of like let's take yeah let's let's take it to the max or whatever you know we take it to the max or, or you know however you look at it you could have just but called just, it pump it up yeah or push or <laughs> you know whatever you want to call it it's 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 similar in that sort of regard yeah i, th- I think like, sometimes less is more isn't it and mm, on this yeah. album this is one of those songs that just yeah I, mean, um, I hate the song, but like I just, you know, there's nothing really that sort of makes it memorable or interesting, really. Yeah. Okay, Toe Jam, do you find this memorable at all, or? No, I kind of agree with Player. It is very similar to My Name Is Prince. It's got all the scratches and it's got all the big beat stuff and samples and this kind of thing. I think it's probably a bit better than My Name Is Prince, though. There's some interesting bits in it. <laughs> probably, actually, one of my favourite lyrics in this whole album is when he sings. Um, and when they tell me to walk uh, a straight line, I put on crooked shoes. Yeah, that's a good I love line. that lyric. That's a really that's cool a lyric. Cause that, lyric. Yeah. Because that sums up Prince so well. It's like, yeah. whatever you label me as, I'm going to do the opposite. And I think that's, yeah. it's kind of like he's recognizing that. At 2.11, you've got that big rave unto the Joy Fantastic riff coming in for the first time. Or possibly one of the first time. That's a really interesting bit. The chorus is Tony M rapping. You know, tell me where the party at. is at. That, that, that's the chorus of the song. Oh, um, lol. I like the um, the piano riff that Play was talking about. That dun 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 
And I like yeah. the bit towards the end where it sort of breaks down a bit and he's got his big layered, layered vocals. And, you know, it's it's not too bad. I don't mind it. It's listenable. But it is a bit of an, it's it's a classic Prince ego trip. You know, I'm the Max and I'm going to do it better than anybody. So it gets a bit tired in that sense. What was that other line that he says in it? It's like, the blood of my love outraces every one of the stallions in your pack or something. Yeah. That's cool. That's yeah, it's there's some interesting lines, aren't there, from a yeah, lyrical... that's the thing, like, they, it's here and there, but it's, as a whole, it doesn't sort of really... See, if you just read the out. lyrics to this song, you'd be like, wow, this could be a great song. And then you'd hear it and you'd be like, what happened? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what did he do there? What happened see, there? See what I did there? On the and, tour, when they did this on the tour, it really broke down to like a, not to say slow, but a sort of softer version yeah. of it. And I think that was that was better than the album version, I thought. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that. that Even then, though, it's just out. Yeah, it's more like a like a jam based on that keyboard section, really. And that's pretty much my review as well. I mean, it's it's high energy only because of the, of the tempo, really, and the boogie style piano, for lack of a better term. It actually reminds me of an obscure uh, album uh, by Freddie Mercury, of all people, called Mr. Bad Guy from 1985. And I'm making... Solo, that's his solo album. It's his solo album, yeah. I mean, yeah. I say obscure because it wasn't highly popular or, or um, successful. But there are many parts on that album, many. There's a few parts on that album where they use a very similar piano motif. And uh, obviously that being seven years before this album came out, I do wonder whether Prince actually heard Freddie Mercury's solo album. I wouldn't be surprised if he had. But yeah, there's not a lot more to say. I do like the use of the rave lines. They're one of the redeeming qualities. And the other redeeming quality are those underdog-type lyrics, in a way. Um, but then they are... You know, the, the good aspects of the lyrics in this track are undermined by talking about getting with a woman and partying and all the Tony M stuff. And, you know, again, this is one of those songs like... Um, hey, yo, baby! <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, My Name is Prince and, and The Max, they definitely fit together. And there's another few that are coming up that I'm going to have to put into the same um, bucket. But, yeah, uh, let's go to Captain. I haven't really got much more to add. Hey, yo, baby! <laughs> I love that. There's sounds always like, one, uh, isn't there? <laughs> sounds like um, Andrew Dice Yo- Clay or sa- something. It sounds yeah. like Yogi Bear. That's what it sounds like. Yo, baby. Tell me where the picnic basket at. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Tell me when Peter Black are at. Uh, this song. What is this song about? I don't know. This is the Max. Uh, I don't think I've said it for a while, but this is just a song. It's, it seems to be about nothing. You're back, Captain. Or something. Yes. And I read that this is a totally, like, reworked version, and there's an original version, which is, like, totally different. Total different music, different lyrics, nothing to do with this. It might make more sense than this one. I don't know, because I haven't heard it. But it's, there's a piano riff, and that's about it. you got Michael B. sounding huge on the drums, as he should. There's a bit of Morse code in the first verse. There's, there's not much to say about this song. I want someone, all the listening people out there, somebody has to know Morse code figure out what it says that's my that's my wish for this year I think for, 20, was... for 2013 i want to know what that yeah, mc it probably says wiggy wiggy whack <laughs> <laughs> probably <laughs> wouldn't yeah, be awesome this, this song it's just uh it's just a song mm. it's okay you know you got the rave line in there before it was officially released on rave like five well, five years six years earlier um, it's in an odd yeah. spot too. It, it's kind of you know, sexy MF, love to the nines, morning papers, three good solid 
tracks and then this. It's a bit of a... It's in that middle section of the album where you want to hit the skip a bit. It's it's just a song. And we've forgotten that little yelp that Maite does at the start was sampled in the Macarena. It all comes from the Max. What? Wow. Go listen to it. Wow. You know where he says you can relax now that Max is in control? Just before that, she does this, like, Yelp thing, and that's sampled in... Oh, is it the same one, though? Or is it, it just sounds... another girl doing it? Oh, it might not be my tale. I don't know. It might be sampled oh. from somewhere, but it's... But it's the same thing. It's the same thing, yeah. It's the same sound. Ooh. And with that, song number six, Blue okay. Light. No! I'm not doing the Seags. <laughs> Segway. Hello? Hello, Prince. Yes. This is Vanessa Bartholomew. Where have you been? I've been trying to interview you now for a long time. No. Don't get me started on this track or this seg, this segue. This is one of many which were to be included on this album, and I have a much more, many more things to say about that later on. So I'll save it for then. Okay. <laughs> but it's not going to be pretty. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, let's go into song number six. It is Blue Light. Like Got different taste. You like it in the dark, but I like a blue light. Can you turn on a blue The blue light's on, gentlemen. Look at me! I can do reggae too! <laughs> <laughs> I've got I've got one word and one initial syllable to um to say about this. Kenny G. No! no. Kenny <laughs> Come on man. G. No, wait. No. Kenny G could never write a song this good. Kenny yeah. G. <laughs> no. No way. No. Kenny G. <laughs> Blue Light Kenny G Sax. <laughs> That's, That's Eric Lead Sax. That's all I've got. I like the song. It's whimsical, it's silly, it's funny, it's smooth, it's light soul reggae in my mind. You got Koppelman on the bass. A big shout out to Michael Koppelman and you know what? Um, I'm saying it right now. We've got to get the guy on the show one day if he's interested. Many, many years ago, I heard a couple of podcasts that he did um, about his time working with Prince, and, and maybe we could talk about that. So, yeah, Koppelman on bass with some really uh, sexy bass work there. Not enough um, swagger, though. That's my only uh, observation. It's it's like it's all right. It creates this unique mood, and there's all these percussive elements in the background um, and guitar tidbits, and really earnest lyrical delivery and lyrical bit, content it's a, it's from it's a bit too lazy isn't it yeah but it's a bit kind of like uh you know after a few rums or rum and cokes or whatever it is margaritas uh, it just doesn't quite get there for me um as far as a reggae sounding song generally uh would go in this vein anyway so if that makes no sense to our listeners i don't blame you <laughs> those are just my random scattered thoughts but w- when i say kenny g sax it's not a knock. It's just that it sounds like elevator music, the sax parts. And I know it's Eric Leeds, but that doesn't necessarily redeem it for me. Um, Maybe Eric Leeds had had a few rum and coke. <laughs> <laughs> I doubt it. <laughs> um, he was nice and relaxed and just chilling out. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Like, That's if- how it's supposed to be. I think Prince, it was actually supposed to be even more laid back than that, but he had a bit too much energy and that's how it came out. <laughs> Who am I to um to throw stones? Who am I? You're but, Jean Valjean. Oh, 
All, all I'll say... <laughs> I've seen that movie too many times, sorry. <laughs> all I'll say is that I think this song would have benefited from a entire horn section as opposed to this one line that sounds like what you'd hear in a shopping mall. Yeah, that, those are my thoughts. So, toe jab. I slept on this track for years and years. I can understand until, why. <laughs> until someone pointed out to me to listen to the song. You and need to just turn listen. on a blue, blue light in your bedroom. <laughs> listen to the song and listen to the guitar, like the, the, electric, the clean electric guitar playing like the harmonics after each line. Yeah. And it goes the whole way through the song. After every single line he sings, there's a little guitar that goes bang or, or something like that. And each one is different. Yep. And it's just real and like they always sort of match up with the with the lyric he's singing as well. And just listen to that, the interplay between the guitar and the vocal line. It's just it's hilarious all the way through. Along with Rapopka the go to zipper, it's probably the they're the only two I can think of that I would say are probably genuine reggae songs for Prince. Anyone think of any others? I can't. It probably goes on a little bit too long. Maybe a minute shorter would have been good because it, it, some of the lyrics are actually really funny, really hilarious. You know, he takes a simple thing and pushes it too far, this kind of thing. It's so... Yeah, I'm know, sure there's no other meaning behind that. <laughs> no, no. And it's like every line is like, like that. And so they're really funny, but after a while it's like, yeah, we get the idea. We get the idea. <laughs> and the bridge is kind of weird too when it goes to the different key and, and Eric leads. Yeah, that bit. <laughs> It's like, what are we going to do in this bit? Well, how about you just play this note and I'll just go dang, dang, dang over it. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I would recommend anyone who's not a fan of this track to listen through it again with headphones and just listen to the guitar in left and right speakers and the way it interplays with the vocal lines. It's hilarious. It's really good. So, yeah, it, it's a good song. It's, it's not the greatest on, on the album, but it's, I like it. I enjoy it. Okay. Captain, tell us something about Blue Light. Look at me, I can do reggae too. <laughs> I just like how on every single album, there's always a song where he's like, look, I can do this style too. And on this album, it's a reggae song. Or an attempt at reggae song. I, I don't mind it. It's not great. It's a Prince doing a reggae song. I think Rip Pop Go To Zipper might be better than this. Yeah, I'll say that. Who says that? I might agree. I might agree. They're pretty on par. Everyone, everyone sun, 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 Moon, Stars, anyone? No. Sun, Moon, Stars? Come on, come on. <laughs> uh, nah, I didn't really have anything to say about this. I'll come like the, cool... the cold winter dew in Montreal. Okay. <laughs> Onwards and upwards. I remember playing uh, an instrumental version of this song for at least like 15 minutes one day. And you, you could call it the Kenny G version if you wanted to. It was We were all pretty relaxed that day, I'll just say that. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yeah, that's all I got to say. <laughs> And with that player, round out blue light for us. Uh, it's good. Like I like the um, th- like the snare, the beat. It's kind of like a slow down version of the get off beat. It has the sort of metallic sound to it. You know, Captain sort of said about you know, look, I can do this sort of style. I kind of like how it's presented here. It's like you know, up until this point, he's never explored reggae, and it's it's not strictly reggae, but it's it's pretty good attempt. And like. You know, just how you present a song, you could easily presented this as a as a slow down song or a, like a slow jam funk song, but he decided to do reggae. I think it's cool that, you know, it does something a bit different just to make it a bit interesting for the listener. And, you know, yeah, like you guys said, it's funny, like stuff like, you know, I'll be 117 and you'll be still saying, baby, not tonight. Yeah, just, it's it's cool. It's 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 a cool song. Like, it's not, you know, in the realms of, you know, Bob Marley or whatever, you know, if... 
Bob Marley was chuckers, like, you know, um, Princess Pliers, but, you know, it's still, it's it's quite good for what it is. It's, like a bit it. cru- it's a bit cruise shipy, isn't it? Like, compared to Bob Marley. It's like it cruise is. ship, cruise ship reggae. It is. Maybe, maybe, um, maybe Prince should smoke the ganja more to get more in the mood, I don't know. But, um, I mean, like, I don't think, you know, Prince listens to a lot of reggae. I'm just taking a stab at the dark there. But, like, for an attempt at the genre, it's, 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 a, it's not bad. It's pretty good. It's it's princeified, isn't it? And I think yeah. it, he does that with a lot of with a lot of um, genres or musical styles, and, and it's cool. Like again, I don't want to want it to sound like I hope I wasn't being overly harsh and critical. I think it's a, a cool little track. Uh, it's just that that one saxophone line when I listen to it, I, I just can't get Kenny G out of my head. I don't know what it is. <laughs> like I don't know what it is. And when I'm saying, look at me, I can do reggae too. Not that that's a bad thing. Hmm. It's always a good thing that he's that he wants to try something different mm. and then and then try to make it his own. That's fine. I don't have a problem with that. All right, all right. Sometimes uh, it works, sometimes it doesn't. That's okay. So uh, we're done with the blue light. The and blue light. We're on to the next track, which is titled I Want to Melt With You. Melting Oh. Melting, melting, melting. <laughs> ooh, ooh. Just, just from that reaction, that ah from Captain, we're going straight to Captain on this. Oh. Take it away. Where do I start with my problems with this track? Ooh. I say track because it's not actually the song itself that I have a problem with. Uh, who knows where I'm going with this? I the don't. inclusion of this particular track is the whole reason this entire album makes no sense at all. Yep, case on that. the fact that he dropped the entire concept of this album just to squeeze in his latest new cool song will never stop annoying me as long as I live. It just goes to show how it just goes to show how random his world is and the way he thinks. Somehow this one, let's face it, fairly average song seemed more important to him at the time than the entire concept of the album. Just chuck it out the window. And the tour as well. The whole idea of the tour was all based on this concept and he just chucked it all to get this song on there. You're going to have to explain oh. this one to me because I've got no idea what you're talking about if at the moment. This, oh, don't you know the history, MC? Oh, no. We'll get to that. If okay. this track had not been included, this album as a whole would have made a whole lot more sense to everyone. And all the segway sigs, they would have made sense in context of the story. And all the songs that continued this rock opera storyline that it was all supposed to be. To clarify, because there were other segues that were chopped out because of this. There were like at least six or yep. seven other like little things, insert things. Explain the story, and, he and they cut them yeah, they out set up to make him fit this this track into the album. There were at least yeah, I think six or seven or eight even other little insert things like between tracks that explained like the whole story. But then he's like, oh, I've got this cool song. I want to get it on the album, so I'll just dump everything. It is the single most annoying thing about this album. I love this album so much. Really? Def- you're definitely wrong about that. <laughs> But, but on the other hand, though, as much as this isn't a great track, would you have rathered all those story segues or a different track? I probably would have preferred I would, the way I, would, I would love him just to stick to the plan. <laughs> but we know he doesn't do that. 
to me, the segues, like the whole story didn't make sense, but when you cut most of it out, it makes even less sense. Yeah. Well, that's if, what I'm saying. If, it might not have been the best storyline ever, mm. but I fully support the fact that he tried to do something. The outcome is not as important. It's like that like solo, the song. I don't love that song. It's okay. But I just love the fact that he attempted to, to do something different, you know, stretch as an artist, blah, blah, blah. And that's something that's just, you know, missing from his life these days. He's too comfortable in his life and, oh, I won't start going on about that because I'll, I'll just keep going forever. Oh. I never really bought this story in the first place. I mean, I know you guys are all, you know, waxing lyrical about the story element in this um, and, you know, the concept album and the, the rock opera or whatever, whatever it's meant to be. I don't really get it. I mean, look. I'm, it's because I'm, you, you haven't heard it. No, no. <laughs> Yeah, possibly. But the um, you're talking about the, the segues, obviously. Yes. As a complete album, without I Want to Melt With You, I mean, I Want to Melt With You doesn't even really fit in the story that well, if it, you like follow the whole story through the songs. The, this one doesn't even fit. He just chucked it on there at the end. The, but I think you, also, I think the idea was that you'd buy the album, you'd see the tour, and then you'd watch Three Chains of Gold, the movie, and it would all come together, but it just it didn't happen. <laughs> The story still makes no sense. Well, yeah, I mean, Act 1, the tour only was in the States, so they're the only one who saw the live version of the story. And, well, yeah, we got the Three Chains of Gold VHS, which explained a bit more. But still, without those, with those missing parts, ah, it's just the most annoying thing. I mean, the song itself, ah, I don't know. It's hard for me to listen to this song just because it annoys me. I got that much. (laughs) I mean, I personally find this track offensive. For, for those Whoa. reasons I just mentioned. It just annoys me. But Captain, Captain, he has to have a song that has a little I symbol on it, and he has to do it. <laughs> exactly. and, and, a, and a U, although and he's a got U. damn you. And, and he has to have a song that offends you in particular, Captain. Let's remember uh, that. This I take this song as a personal insult. <laughs> personal attack. Yeah. <laughs> he's I not mean, talking about you, I'm sure, when he's saying he wants to melt with someone, that's for sure. All I can say about this song is I like the la-la-la-he-he-he reference in there, and... Also, in our rubbish band, we did a cover of this song, and obviously it was called I Want to Crap on You. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I've got to say. R. Kelly took your concept just oh. one step. <laughs> Damn. So, yeah, that's all I've got to say. This song annoys me. That's about it. You know, when we started this show, I, I never thought we would talk so much smack on Peach and Black, but it's getting that way, isn't it, gentlemen? <laughs> <laughs> wow. I- this, you harped on about that story for a while, and I still don't really get it. I mean, I'm not a complete idiot. I do understand that there is some sort of loose theme with, you know, that is um, laid out throughout the album. Yeah, it is loose as it is now, but with all those other parts put back in, it makes more sense. Okay. It's not as loose. It's more right. of a story that makes sense. I'll have to but take with you- all those other bits taken out, it's just... You know, it's like you just rip random chapters out of a book and then you're supposed to read through it with missing chapters and it's supposed to all just make sense. Hey, that's how I got through university. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> the thing with this with this particular album is, you know, it. I don't know that it was billed as a... Well, I guess it was it seen was, by some start, as a... It was billed as a rock opera. As a concept album. As a concept album. Um, now... The thing is, when I think of concept albums, and there are many within within you know the pop music history, some of my favourite ones are Joe's Garage by um, Frank, oh, Frank Zappa, Zappa. and um, Quadrophenia by The Who. There's a few more, and 
you know, those albums in particular, they have segues and they have little tidbits here and there, but they, number one, they add to a specific story that is clear to any listener. You don't have to really, you don't have to be too intellectual <laughs> to figure out what they're on about, especially in Zappa's case. But um, this one is just, it's all over the shop. And the other thing is, it's really not that interesting to me. I, I don't know if you guys have the same feeling, but throughout many of these songs, and th this one in particular, they just get this sense that, yeah, you know, Prince, he's just met Maite. He's obviously inspired. And, you know, the Morning Papers is a great example of that inspiration. I think this is a, a, a lesser entry in his discography and a, a less inspired piece of work. It's a very strange come on track with some questionable lyrics and questionable trance-like groove. It's pretty dirty lyrically, really. And I think more than anything, I don't know how you guys feel about the lyrical content. You might... Can I, can I mention one lyric? The one lyric that does stand out for me in this song. Let's, let's do and it. And I'm, sh I'm sure someone else was, might have said it. Here we go. <laughs> I just always remember this line. Don't look now, there's a river of blood. You must have been a virgin. What am I guilty of? That's just... That is classic. Prince lyrics right there. It, <laughs> it's... um. Yeah, I mean, some of the lyrics here, in fact, all of the lyrics, I feel that they're like a peek inside Prince's mind, inside Psych. Prince's, Psych. yeah, yeah, or into his horny psyche in this case. Yeah. It's odd to listen to, uh, but you know what? It, it encapsulates you, especially if you get a, cup, a pair of headphones on and, and you, um, you know, you cup them over your ears. It really encapsulates your your head and your mind and 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 the next three or four minutes, it's very difficult to um, to explain unless you listen to it, I guess. Uh, it's not one of my favourite songs on the album, and I, I think with Captain, I, I agree with you about the fact that, that maybe this, if this was left off, it would have been the better for it, but for different reasons. I'm not... It doesn't bother me as much as it does you. I just think oh, that it's not I'm that... Always, I'm always going to be the one who is yearning for the thing that's not there. <laughs> I mean, if the album had come out as it was supposed to be, with all the seeds there and without this song, I would have just found something else to whinge about. Yeah, there's, a, <laughs> there's always without a reason. This is a bootleg, and you would have been saying, he should have scrapped the segues and put I Want to Melt With You on there. Yeah, that song's great! <laughs> <laughs> there's always something to complain about, but uh, it's not so much a complaint, just an observation from my point of view. I think Blue Light would have segued uh, much nicer into Sweet Baby without anything else in between, actually. I know they're two kind of mid-tempo songs or slow slow tempo but um those are my thoughts um toe jam yeah it's a bit of a skippable track really um but there's some interesting bits in it it's uh it's sort of a soundscape sort of song isn't it it's not really a song per se there's an interesting snare effect that's sort of bouncing around the speakers left and right and i think that really gives it that sort of early 90s vogue kind of sound if that's your kind of thing uh, it's interesting he's got the seven reference in the background, sort of foreshadowing the song that's coming up. He counts to seven and a few little references to that. Uh, I like the guitar riff at 251, that whatever it is. That's pretty cool, that bit. And I really like the melting, melting. I think that's pretty funny, you know, a real reference to The Wizard of Oz. Uh, and there's just interesting sounds going on. There's a little weird bass wobble sort of thing that pops up in every now and then. And then at the end at 3.33, there's like this buzzing sound that's played in a rhythm sort of thing. So there's like, there's interesting stuff in it, but ultimately it's a bit skippable. This song to me, it's, I don't know if anyone else gets this, but it's, it's really a precursor to yes. the sound of that yes. ended up on the Come album. Yep. Like some of those sounds, like the guitar solo you just said, that's really 
similar sound to what's the some yeah. sounds he used on that album. And this song sort of reminds me of Pheromone as well. Yes. In a way. Yeah. And and those songs that you just mentioned, and in fact, the, that entire album, in, in my opinion, is a much better. It is in fact an excellent example of what Prince can do when he when he puts his you know that sexual, sensual, horny mind state and goes after it musically. Whereas this doesn't really get there all the way, does it? But yeah, this just like Pheromone. It's a really you know it can be if you really listen to it. There's some disturbing things in there, lyrics and some image, like the, um, some mental images in the River of Blood line. You know, after he says, there's a river of blood, then you hear this, played by the guitar. <laughs> kind of moaning, suggestive. <laughs> what is S to the S? Someone explain that to me. I don't know what that is. Is that anything? Or is it just a cool thing to say? Use your imagination. <laughs> I, I don't know. I've tried. I've thought yeah. about it many times. S to the S. I don't know. Come anyway. on, listeners. Listeners, come on. What's S to the S? Let us know. Come on, come on. And with that <laughs> player, well, what are your thoughts on, on this piece of music? Well, this is Safe Sex, New Power Generation style. Oh, Lord. <laughs> SDS, he's got it. SDS. <laughs> um, I didn't like it when it came out. Its techno sound sticks out like a sore thumb on this album, and because it was the last-minute inclusion, to me, it fits... Like just what Captain just said, he's just basically taking my review. It fits more with the stuff that came after this CD, like um, Pope and Pheromone and all that other stuff that featured in Glam Slam, Ulysses, even Carmen Electra's um, Fantasia Erotica is a bit reminiscent oh, of this. Oh, yes. There's a lyric in there about endorphins, so you really see where he's headed musically after 1992. It's kind of obvious, like, he was going down that road, and, like, he's just picked this and, like, chopped the symbol album and inserted it in there, so... But after multiple listens, I definitely get into it, especially listening to it on its own, rather in the album setting, as I don't think it works in this context... It's very Eurodance, semi-industrial, metallic-sounding. Um, yeah. Where he revisits La La La, he he he. That's very cool throwback. But yeah, Just cool like song. a dog. <laughs> Just like a dog. Yeah. Oh 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 oh. <laughs> that sounded more like Scooby Doo, I think. But yeah. <laughs> We've had Yogi Bear, now we got Scooby Doo. <laughs> yeah, it's a cool song, but on its own, not not in the context of this album. Should have left the segues in and carried this over to the next project, I think. All right, all right. But you've got that thing where he says endorphins, and then also he says this is the ultimate rave. Now there's just all the, and then you got the la 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 he 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 reference. That's the thing I was talking about before. All these little, just these little connections that go back to somewhere else. Yeah. And that's what when you listen to everything he's ever done, there's so me- there's so much of that, and that just that's what blows me away. Well, even in the Max, he's got like a lead line from Rave in that. From Rave, which hadn't yeah. come out until later. I think that's that's one of the appeals of of being a fan is that There's he has all this little thing. yeah he has all this little hidden stuff in there that that makes you think and well not makes you think but you know you do notice having listened to other albums and so it it kind of you know helps out in the putting it all together yeah good stuff okay. and uh, with that controversy we go into do 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 sweet baby. Player, why don't you start us off uh, with your thought, thoughts on Sweet Baby? Uh, I slept on this song for ages. I always uh, skip to get to Continental. However, this song is what? really really nice. <laughs> Continental. Um, 
Some very interesting lyrics. The road you walk in this life is the one that leads you to the next. The music is smooth and soothing. The main instruments that stand out are the piano, the organ, and bass. The vocal delivery is accented by the multilayered vocals intertwining the main delivery. That's really, really cool. My only thing about this song is that it kind of flies under the radar when I think about it, because the other songs that are very that are on here are very bombastic or grandiose. It's not like the big power ballad like Morning Papers or Damn You. And between that and where it's slotted on this album, it kind of gets lost for me. So for that, it probably deserves more attention than what it gets. So it's the, the little quiet achiever here, Sweet Baby. So, um, Tay Jam, give us your perception of uh, Sweet Baby. I agree with player. I, I used to skip it all the time as well. But I think on the other way around, rather than skipping to get to Continental... I would skip it, get to Continental, be like, oh, why did I do that? And so I started listening to it more. <laughs> so, yeah, I agree. It's a sort of a lullaby country kind of song. It's very tonally secure. It doesn't really move out of the key. It's pretty simple chords, 1, 4, 5, and minor 6, which is pretty standard major sound. I think the background vocals on this song and also a lot of the other songs coming up just really start blowing my mind from here on in, I think, the rest of the album. Second verse is when they start, and he's got all that sort of pa 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 all this sort of classical vocal stuff good stuff i like it at uh 227 when it sort of breaks down he goes to that walk faster bit and you hear the triangle like the michael bland goes to the triangle and the floor tom and then he comes back into the beats really nice effect and this reminds me this goes well with a whole lot of other songs like songs from the vault uh don't talk to strangers uh that sort of stuff but i think if you put all that together you'd have a really nice little yeah quiet jazzy album yeah maybe something for a compilation in later years but yeah, I think it's a good little song, a very underrated little ballad. Okay, uh, Captain, your turn. This song, for me, is the most skippable track on this album. Why am I not surprised? I would rather listen to the nonsensical seeds that still do exist on this album than this track. It's a very average ballad to my, my ears. And like I've said many times before, I couldn't write any better. But when you know what this guy can do, and then you hear this, it's just like, eh, whatever. What's this? It's mediocre. you got big multi-track vocals on this track. Yeah, we know he can do that. He does it on other tracks on this album. It sort of reminds me a bit of Money Don't Matter Tonight in a few ways. One, I don't think he ever played it live. He might have sang two lines in a piano medley, but I don't think he ever played it properly live. And it just seems a bit too slow. Just like Money Don't Matter Tonight, it's just a bit too slow for me. And by the end of the song, it sounds like even he's bored of it. And yeah, uh, most skippable track. That's all. Uh, All right. Um, Well, this is definitely, definitely, without a doubt, not the most skippable track on this album, in my opinion. It's one of the better songs on this album, I think. This, and when we get to Diamonds and Pearls, I think there's a few moments like this on that album, or similar moments to to the sound and the kind of uh, the delivery of of what, what he's doing with Sweet Baby. I think this is where his songwriter aptitude and his ability as a songwriter really comes out. You know, the morning papers I mentioned earlier, I think should be a Prince standard. And this is probably not quite up there in comparison to that previous track, but it's still very solid songwriting, very simple songwriting, but very effective. And there's just countless great lyrics in this song. I just think it's a class ballad all around. You know, he's got that silky voice that he hasn't recorded that many songs when you think about it in this sort of vein. There are a few. Yep, Money Don't Matter Tonight. There's a couple of others on Diamonds and Pearls. A few on The Vault, Old Friends for Sale from the album that came out in the late 90s as a contractual thing. 
you know, the, the harmonies are beautiful. This is just so lush and the playing is gorgeous by the band. Again, the arrangement, you know, we spoke about the arrangement in Love to the Nines, the Morning Papers. Uh, and this is another great example of arranging. Um, and the placement of the keys is brilliant. They're very airy and breathy and they just kind of color the space and fill the room really nicely. So Tommy B's used... Um, Barbarella's used to very good effect and cool use of atmospheres all around. I think the space, his use of space again in this song via the synths, his vocal delivery and also the tempo. I actually find the tempo absolutely perfect for this song. It's a sweet song. It's called Sweet Baby and um, definitely one that I can listen to on repeat. It's almost hypnotic in a way, but I can understand some people saying, oh, it's kind of a bit simple or it doesn't really go anywhere. But that's why I love it. I think it's a simple, effective song. And (laughs) I have to chuckle to myself now because, well, you'll find out why. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for the Continental. Captain, why don't you start off this review? Because I just have this funny feeling that you, you'll you have a colourful opinion of this song. <laughs> Take it away. Here's something interesting. Supposedly, this song was not considered as a single. First of all, that's stupid. It would have been a great single. But there's a remix that exists. And on my copy of the album, there's a small sticker on the front, which says the following. Includes Sexy MF, My Name is Prince, Seven, and The Continental. Why would they mention The Continental if it was just an album track? (laughs) Somewhere, at some point, it must have been planned as a single. A possible contender to be released as a single, along with Sweet Baby, Blue Light and Love to the Nines were also considered to be singles. I think Continental would have done pretty well. Damn You was a single. You know know on um, the Sexy MF VHS, just that single video, there was like an album preview. And, you know, it was, it had the lady's voice and she's like included are the jams sexy and f and then like she mentions the continent like so yeah you might be right it must have been like included somewhere at some point it was going to be a single it should have someone must have given him some good advice because that would have flopped like anything no i think it was i think it was warner brothers i think warner brothers didn't want so many singles that's what it was they probably just cut it in the end after diamonds and pearls did so well with six singles but this, this is what i don't get this very point Warner's argument was after Diamonds and Pearls with like, you know, five or six singles and then this album coming so close off the back of that and there was going to be another five or six singles, they said he's going to saturate the market and he wanted just to release songs all the time. Now, he hasn't released anything, well, okay, aside from 2013, but apart from that, since, what, 2010 to 2013, he released virtually nothing. He would have been perfect at Warner Brothers now. <laughs> yeah, they'd love him. They'd, they'd love, love him. him to be there now. That's right. I don't get it. He fought for his friend to get out of there to release stuff, and then he just went sort of backwards in that regard. He got but out he, of there, he put out Emancipation and a few things, and then just sort of didn't do much. <laughs> but, but now he's releasing stuff all the time, which is good. It but seems like, like he's, he's almost released less since he left Warner Brothers. Mm. Like in the same amount of time. Well, that's an argument which, for another day. I guess. Yeah, which which I actually I think I don't think he has. When you when you when you I know you're right, Blair. It's not what this particular episode is about. But maybe let's go into that one day because I, I for one think that he's been as prolific in releasing things. Forget about when they were recorded, but releasing material as he was back in the eighties. But anyway. Anyway, damn you was a single, and that's not mentioned on this sticker. Anyway, the song itself is a great song. I really like it, obviously. It's pretty straightforward pop rock song. It's got a bit of falsetto, his normal voice. 
Musically, it's nothing special, but it's just a good little song. Back in 92, it was, it was just a really cool track, and I still think it is. More than 20 years later, I still like this song. Again, oh, like the morning papers, I, I don't know what to say about this song. I just really like it, but I don't think I can... I can't put into words why, but I'm sure, MC, you can tell me why you don't like it. It's all yours. I will. I don't want to quite go into that yet, so um, I'll hand it over to player. Okay, this song is pretty much two songs rolled into one, with both sections good for what they are. you got the first half being bright, rocking guitars, record scratches, there's a lot of stuff going on, but not to the point where it's a mess or cluttered with too many musical ideas. It's also danceable too, funky, with some great lyrical context. Um, for example, the chorus, Why Settle for a Star When You Can Have the Sun? And you can interpret mm. that in many ways, from inspirational, you know, reaching for your goals, to what I think Prince is talking about here to this girl, you know, why settle for any old guy when you can have me, sort of thing. Uh, all tongue, yeah, I want all your germs. I really like that line. just comes out of nowhere. And then you've got the second half of the song, which breaks it down to something a bit sexy, some nice guitar lines, a solo sax blowing in the background. It brings, to, it brings it down to the seduction mode, where you've got this interchange between Prince and Carmen, which is quite clear in its execution, the, the telephone game part. I'd like to know who came up with the Carmen's rap, whether it was her or Prince, or if it was ghostwritten by Tony M, because you can hear on Carmen's album, especially uh, Go Go Dancer, it sounds like it was ghostwritten by Moni Love, but it's not exactly Moni's style here, so I'd like to know who wrote it. Um, there's also some very clever backing by Prince, for example, where he says, um, should I write the alphabet? In the background, you hear him saying A, B, C, D, E, F, G. That's sort of the stuff that Prince is really good at, and you wouldn't get that in other artists' work. Mm. I like the song. It just makes me wonder, because it's presented in two sections, whether he came to a point in the first section of, gee, how am I going to end this, or if it were always the intention of breaking it up into two parts. So that I'd like to know. We'll never know, but yeah, that's my review of Continental. I just thought of one reason why I do really like this song is his vocal performance. There's some bits where he's just screaming his head off. He's just going for it and he doesn't care. And that's what I like. Yeah, I like that too. Like, I think, oh, what was it? I think it was, was it Sexuality, the song? And we were saying how he's, it's just raw and he's just screaming and going for it and he doesn't care. I get that in this song as well. It's a bit more controlled in this, but it's still got that element there. Vocals, that's what it is. All right, all right. Uh, Tejem, tell us about the elements in this song, will you please? Well, it, it is two songs, isn't it? And so I, I really don't like the first half, and I really do like the second half. Oh. Um, I just find the first half just... It's another song about him talking about how good he is. You know, we've already, this is, what, the third or fourth one on this album already. It's like, really? Okay. The other thing I always find funny is... Do you remember in the 90s there was a, a soup brand called Continental? They might, st- they might still be around. Yeah. Continental cup of soup. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and they, they used to have that little jingle, Continental. And so every time I hear the, I'm the Continental, I just think of, like, soup. <laughs> <laughs> soup sounds like it would fit in that second part of the song somewhere. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> um, just see, and I just find that the groove's just pretty lame in that in the continental part of the song. It's just kind of like, it's a it's a mash of sounds, the distorted guitars and the horns, but it doesn't really come together for me. Uh, you got those in the, on the off beats, you've got all the, uh, uh, uh. It's like, oh, really? I don't want to hear that. Some interesting lyrics about three quarters in a glass, flipping them on my stomach, which is obviously a reference to how he met Maite. Apparently they sent a video to him with that routine that she would do. So anyway, that's the first half. The second half, I think, is much better. It's got a nice little reggae bass line, breathing chords, sort of swelling chords, 
And uh, I think the phone talk is actually probably the, the actual most sensual part of the album, I guess, even though it's kind of slutty and cheesy. But it's good, I think. Very stylish. you got that saxophone going. Uh, a bit Kenny G-like, but it's all right. And again, the, the backing background vocals in that second half are really good too. Um, so for me, like I think I probably would have preferred if this was split into two. But having said that, I do like the way it just goes straight into the other. It's a nice effect. But yeah, I don't like the first half. <clears> I do like the second half. So you should love the track. Tell me how you want to be done from Crystal Ball. Nah, because it's just a cheesy remix of that second half. But it's, that's the part that you like. Yeah, but it's a cheesy remix of it. <laughs> <laughs> I can't no, remember. Actually, I haven't listened to that for ages. You just reminded me of one of those lyrics, though. That three quarters in a glass. And the lyrics are, I see your smile and ask. But, and, but I always thought he said, three quarters in a glass, I see your smiling ass. I thought that for so long. <laughs> Which I thought was one of the best lyrics ever written. Same here. Out, I also that, thought that. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't it great? No, I thought it was one of the worst glass, lyrics ever written. I see your smiling ass. I thought it was the funniest thing I've ever heard. And then I read read the lyric. I'm like, oh, that's not what I thought it was. And then he says, "Would you marry my ass?" It's great. It's just classic. Again, pr- lyrics. It's so good. That's why this song's so great. Things like that. Oh man. <laughs> Where do I begin? Tojo, were you done or? Yeah, I'm done. Okay. <laughs> Here we go. Brace yourself, everyone. The Continental is laughable. It is laughable. Laughable in its greatness. Prince, in the worst possible way, this is almost unlistenable to me. This song, and I use the term very loosely, is just a hodgepodge of ideas that don't work. I don't like the falsetto that he uses. Continental, really, to Toe Jam's point about how many I'm so great moments can this album possibly have on it. The lyrics are just, they're unlistenable for the most part. The Whatever horns, come for after me is yin yang. It's like, it's like <laughs> what? Where did Mr. Wong come from? The horns see, are the. I don't see any difference between the lyrics of him saying, I am the Continental, to the 1999 track, International Lover. You, are, you didn't just compare the, these two songs. Same thing. You did not just... Same, same concept, same... <laughs> no way. I thought that's uh, where he was going. No, no, not really, because with International Lover, the lyrics there are... It's obviously a come on, but it's, it's so funny. There are parts of that song where you literally fall off your seat laughing, and the music is brilliant. It's a slow jam of epic proportions, and he's obviously not taking himself seriously and he's just stick poking his tongue out and being a bit kind of young and naive in a way. This, well, this, is, song, this song's not no, no, serious. No, no, no. no. Th- this is the thing. The Continental is, in my opinion, Prince just trying too hard to be casual. He's trying to, like, pull off this casual, random collection of sounds talking about how brilliant he is. And it's just lame. It's really bad. This is a sign of an artist doing one of two things. Either, as I said, trying too hard to come up with something that he think will be entertaining to his audience and failing. Or saying to himself, you know what, I'm just going to stuff it. Screw the audience. Screw everything. I'm just going to put something down on wax and it's going to be absolutely ridiculous. And by ridiculous, I mean preposterous. So he, he's done one of two things. He's either trying to be preposterous, which is not interesting to listen to listen to or he's trying too hard to be cool and that's not interesting to listen to so anyway that's that's just those are my thoughts he doesn't have to try try to be cool (laughs) 
the horns are the only redeeming feature on this. And I think in most Prince music, the horns really rarely put a step wrong, whether it's because of the playing, it usually is, the arranging, it usually is, his contributions to the arrangements, that also usually is the case. And um, this song has all three of those. And even though they're a bit low in the mix and you really got to listen to them, you know, during some parts, um, I think they're really, really cool, really fine feature. But that's it, man. Let's let's talk about something else. But what Can do you we... think of this? Of, what do you think of the second half of the song, though? Oh, if you thought the first half was bad, you ain't you ain't seen nothing yet. <laughs> yeah, I like the groove in the second half. Uh, I like the groove. Nah, not at all. That's wow. lame. This is lame. This is lame, 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 lame. Wow. What are you drinking? This it's just continental cup of soup. <laughs> <laughs> Someone must have been drinking continental cup of soup, but it wasn't it's me. Con- it's I'm telling called you. the continental. That means it can't be bad. No. <laughs> continental. I really don't. Continental means like top line luxury, you know, thing. Yeah. It can't be bad. Yeah, I know. I know. It can't be bad for you. You know what? The similarities between this song and continental cup of soup are so. There are so many of them. No. <laughs> I'm just thinking of it. You know, it's like no, just no. add water. It's this pre-made artificial <laughs> mixture with all of these random elements that just give you this overall salty, overly salty taste in your mouth when you've <laughs> done finishing listening to this track or drinking the cup of soup, whichever is your preference. This is absolute. If skippable was in the, in the dictionary, and it may be, a, a picture of the title of this song is right next to it. This is... Oh, no way. Let, 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 let's just continue the show before this all unravels, <laughs> shall we? I don't know if I can continue after that. (laughs) Damn you, MC. All I'm trying to say is that my psychedelic shouts when you damn me, damn you. Damn you. With a you. I just, I just love it when I'm flowing with all that arrogance on the show. Ah, let's go. Check it out. All right, uh, Damn You is the next track, um, something I'm a little bit excited about talking about. So um, let's uh, go to Toe Jam and uh, open this up for us. Uh, this is a brilliant ballad, one of his best ever, I think. It's a 6-8 slow ballad. I love the chord progressions throughout the whole song. It starts off pretty simple, just going one to four. But there's some really nice, interesting circular chord progressions when it goes to the bridge. Just very interesting to listen to. His vocal is unbelievable. Just the whole song is like these jumps, you know, from his absolute lowest to his close to his highest. And that goes all the way through the chorus and the verse. Big jumps. Claire Fisher adds heaps to this this song, makes it in a totally yeah. different class. It adds total class to this song. At 140, that's the big climax, I guess, where Claire Fisher and Levi, Levi I, think, I presume it's Levi doing the little solo really nice uh and i love the bridge again the chords in the bridge just goes to this totally new key he's jumped this jumps onto this high note this animals really kind of reminds me like these sort of 70s sleazy club ballads really good good stuff it's hard to say a lot about it but it's just everything works in it i think it's one of his best ballads ever and talking about standards i think this is the kind of thing that could be considered a prince standard in terms of maybe not it's it's probably not as well known as it should be but musically i think it's up there yeah, but I wish I had more to say about it. But interesting chords, beautiful arrangement, beautiful strings, beautiful vocals, all of that all comes together and it's a brilliant song. And I completely agree. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> yeah, the Claire Fisher strings are absolutely sublime. The composition, the arrangement of, of the strings is just first rate. They make the heart melt. The arrangement here is like a mix of 
Antonio Jobim, Marvin Gaye, Quincy Jones, and maybe a little bit of that smooth jazz, the best parts of the smooth jazz element of um, jazz group foreplay. Yeah, the playing and arrangement is stunning. The lyrics are nice. The vocal performance is out of this world fantastic. Super funky, is sexy sounding. This is Prince in crooner mode. And there's so many influences that I hear in his vocal delivery, whether he was conscious of them or not. From, you know, Sinatra-esque crooning to Nina Simone to Barbara Streisand to Marvin Gaye to, to Broadway standards to R&B soul ballads all in one package. And then he takes it an extra step by playing with his with the range of his voice from the baritone, the low baritone to the falsetto, as you said, Toe Jam, and everything in between and his timing and the nuance in his voice and the delivery. Yeah. This is exceptional. This is the kind of stuff. Timing is, as you, I wish I had said that. Timing yeah. is, like oh. he just holds back on phrases and it's just really tasty. Yeah, it's pretty much perfection, I think. As far as a vocal performance goes, it is pretty much perfection. And the most incredible thing about this vocal delivery to me is that it doesn't sound... It strikes the balance between emotion and expression. And what I mean by that is, like, he's not overdoing it. He's just hit that point right in the middle where it's just a perfect delivery, but you still get that sense that he believes what he's singing about and it comes across to the listener. It's just... It's really unreal to listen well, to. What I also love about it is, you know, we've just talked about all these amazing musical elements and the timing and expression and everything, but at the same time, it's hilarious in terms of what, <laughs> sing- what he's singing about as well, which adds another dimension to it. Yeah, that's right. That, that is true. And, and great, I mean, great metaphors in this song, really. So you're right, the, the thematic aspect of this song and the lyrical aspect of, of this track are also really good. Oh, man, I, I could just keep going on and on and on about this, but I won't. I'll turn it over to someone else, uh, player. Okay, I'm going to be honest and come right out and say I don't like this song much. But again, like Solo, I can yeah. respect the song. I think this becomes fully realised on Extraordinary, which I'll enjoy a lot more. And I know Prince likes this song a lot because along with Sexy MF, this was the only other song from this album that he performed on the Diamonds and Pearls tour before the album came out. Uh, the highlight would have to be the Cliff Fisher Orchestra, like you guys said, and that big build-up to that orchestral part at 136. Actually, I figured out what I don't like is the vocal delivery. The music itself as an instrumental is pretty good, but right from the start where he says, damn you, like to my ears, and I'm probably super wrong, but it just sounds like it's sung out of tune. Maybe everyone likes his vocal because it displays his range, but for me, it's kind of all over the place from the falsetto right down to the really low parts, like a 253, and then back up to his falsetto. Like I said, I can respect it, but I just like the music on its own, but the vocals are just a bit too much for my ears. All right, Captain. This song was the fourth and final single from the album, released the same day as Seven. It's easily the best ballad on the album, but that's not hard when your only competition is Sweet Baby. Or maybe God Created Woman, if you want to count that one too. I don't have much to say. This is a big orchestra, Claire Fisher. That's great. There's a lot of reverb. That's all i got to say about this song. <laughs> when all I can say is there's a lot of reverb, yeah. Not much you, to say. You're kidding. I mean, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised that you're not talking about the lyrics so much because you rarely do. <laughs> but musically, no. there's not from a, even from a pop standard point of view, nothing oh, impresses you here. No. Wow. No. Oh, see, there's pop ballads and there's power ballads and there's just ballads, and I'm not much a fan of just ballads. Okay. But still, you know, this is the best one on the album, and it is up there with. I'd say probably in his top 10 of ballads, 
Definitely. It's just, it's just not my my sort of song. Okay. Well, just before we go into the next couple of tracks, I do want to, I mean, Toe Jam raised the, the, the lyrical content and I, we're not going to read the whole song out. You, you know where to find the lyrics for this. They're in the, um, in the CD the version, in the booklet. Yeah, the poster. But, um, I mean, just the opening line itself, damn you, you're so fine. Just that in a line encapsulates so much of what this song is about. I, I also love the, um, the part about, it goes on and on and says uh, something like, I can't hold back. It's like having a hundred million little heart attacks. Now, that yeah, line... Yeah, I, I do like that line. That line in less capable hands would be absolutely terrible and would just be... You know, that, that's got lame potential, but he pulls it off with savoir faire. Huh. And, um, yeah, you know, like animals just born to breed. Come born to, think to about breed? Baby. Oh, it's a reference to Moni Love. It's a, uh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> You're my only need. I'm on fire till you come and put me out. I mean, that's just, just brilliant. Brilliant um, pop lyricism there. I know I always say this during an album review, you know, oh, I can't wait to finish the review and listen to, to, to this particular song. And this is the song that does it for me. So when, when we're done, uh, gentlemen, <laughs> I'm going to listen to this and a few others too. It's getting me inspired again. Okay, so let's go from Damn You into another uh, aptly titled song. Song? Are we going to call it a song? I don't know. We'll we'll get to that in a second. Arrogance. <laughs> yes. Whack 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 wiggity 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 whack. And uh, wrong on... wrong wrong wrongy wrongy wrongy. Wrong. Oh well, all right. Uh, t- take it away, Captain. This is this is excellent. <laughs> that do I, I don't even need to say anything else it's um <laughs> i love the drums i love the bass line the chorus is just this organized chaos it's just mental i love it i wish he would do much much more like this stuff like this the horns just sound excellent just like on, on diamonds and pearls you've got something like strolling and you know, on this album as well, you got Blue Light, just to show, you know, oh, I could do just any type of music. I'm going to do this weird, weird, weird thing. And and it's excellent. I don't know what else I can say. I remember reading this, you know, they call some music as an art, it's avant-garde. And I've read that this was, I think, avant-purple. And it's just mental. And it's excellent. That's all. Thank goodness. <laughs> uh, Toe Jim. Um, I really like the music in this. I think it's a really interesting experiment musically. It's it's like Captain said, it's organized chaos, and it, it almost reminds me of you know something like the Mars Volta in parts. It's just going all over the place. There's crazy fast lines, crazy arrangement. Yeah. Everything's going 110 percent, but the lyrics just kill the song. It just completely kill it. Yeah. Again, it's like I don't have no idea what he's singing about, but it's sort of this out of tune vocal. Sort of this kitty melody. Da, 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 da. It's just ah uh, yeah. It's frustrating this song because I think musically it's really interesting, but lyrically and vocally I, I I just can't listen to it for that reason. It kills the song for me. That's pretty much all I've got for it. Player, well, you uh, need to, to listen. Me. You need to listen to just listen to Michael B. Just listen to the drums on this. They're insane. Yeah, it's just crazy. It's, it's kind of like it's some of this Prince elements like little guitar things but it's all weird it's all kind of off kilter so i like yeah. that it's it's an interesting experiment but it's just it's an it's a failed experiment at the same time oh no it's not failed <laughs> no, it, no mu- it's... Mu- musically it does have a lot going for it i'll give you guys that especially 
40 to 130. You know, pimp rag, tootsie pop and a cane. Really? <laughs> I don't want to we'll hear see. that as a chorus for a song. And it's just this <laughs> pimp rag, tootsie pop. <laughs> Killed it. Killed a, a, an interesting experiment. But you'd notice yeah. I didn't mention the lyrics at all because I, I barely, they barely register with me. I just listened to the music and it's excellent. Like just after he says Pim Rag Tootsie Pop and a Cane, that's, that's the chorus when it's just mental music. And it's, oh, it's so good. Yeah, and then you got all that shouting insane. and fighting in the background. Yeah. It's like, ah, oh, take that stuff out. Just listen to the music. There's just too much rubbish in it, I think, and in the background. But yeah, musically, the music madness mayhem prevails. Um, those are pretty much my thoughts. Play them. I'll say one more thing. It's sort of madhousey as well. Yeah, a it's, bit. Pro- it's probably, I think it's one of the closest things to Madhouse that he's put on his own album that I can think of right now. There's probably something else. But it's just... It's one of those things like I would have preferred if it was maybe extended a bit longer and turned into, I don't want to say a proper song, but, you know, eliminate all the rubbish, change the lyrics, because the, the, the groove and everything's really funky in the background. It's so good. I almost think that taking the groove from Arrogance and the song that comes right after this and putting them together and, and kind of trying to create a, an even stronger groove out, groove out of those two pieces of music, just an instrumental. That instrumental would be an awesome segue into the next song on its own. But you've got all this stuff. And this is where Prince needed an editor, in, especially in this era where he was getting, in my opinion, from an artistic standpoint, just too too big for his boots I really believe that his head was too big at this point in, in his time. There was just, there was no self-control. Everything was outlandish. Everything was just, what's the word I'm looking for? It was just, anyway, it, it's just over Let's the see, top. Without that ego trip, whatever you want to call it, we, we wouldn't have got this album. You're right. You're right. And you, I guess you have to pay a price to listen to the four or five amazing songs on this album. You have to deal with all the other fluff with that player. Yeah, this is the kind of, the, the jughead of this album. It's similar in its sound. It's similarly positioned on the album as Jughead. The music on its own is pretty good. It's similar to, like, Madhouse musically. It's just the lyrics and actually what is it all about and and what are they trying to achieve here has me scratching my head. I guess it's about the attitude of their style, you know, Pim Rag, Tootsie Pop and the Cane. But at a minute 30, you've got to ask, you know, is it really worth having here? The only thing that is sort of any relevance is at the end where he says like a flame she came and I was no longer cold and then Kirstie Alley says that's a little shady for this lady who was just 16 years old which kind of continues the storyline theme you know in mm-hmm. to the nines it was jailbait like I said earlier during morning papers of a love for someone so young and waiting until they're of legal age so it reminds the listener of this but otherwise it could have been left off or it should have been left off actually and with that, we go straight. We flow into the flow. The flow. Captain, lead us off again. Oh, uh, well, why me? Why would you pick me first? Oh, I don't know. Obviously, one of my favourite songs on this album. It's um, Tony M in full effect. You got you got Tony M rap. You got Prince doing rap too. I I listened to this like on headphones the last couple of days. I knew there was like scratching in it. I never realized how much. There is so much scratching going on in this song. It is, yeah. It sounds like old. scratching to my ears from my point. It's of view, just non-stop. It's mental. But it's pretty straightforward drumming. It's got some, after the rap, you got some nice horn solos. But like Player just said, with arrogance, what is the point of this song? I mean, the flow was around since, like, it, they, they were doing it on the new tour, 
and so it's, it had been around for a while. And with Rosie Gaines in it, it sounded really good. And then they put it on here, cut it down a lot, and Rosie's gone. Is Rosie on this album? She's not on this album at all, is she? No, well, she decided to do the solid thing. So then Maite became Which, part of the MPG, and then everything that had Rosie's vocals on it, they removed it. Ooh. But oh, I really like this song. I don't have anything to say about it. I love the rap. I love both the raps. Prince's rap's great. It's it's one of his better raps, I think. Ah, oh, phew. Um, again, I don't know. I just don't. <laughs> I, I've got nothing to say. I've got nothing to say. The last minute. The last minute. The horn without hearts, the rap. Yeah, the last minute. Well, the last fifty seconds, to be precise, of of the flow are are, are pretty cool to listen to. It's just horn heads going off. The horn parts are really cool. Uh, more horn heads, less rap. This album would have been just exceptional overall. But uh, that wasn't to be. So, uh, player, what are your thoughts on the flow? Uh, this flows, pardon the pardon, from the last song. Rock to the FLOW W. Mm. Yes. <laughs> you like that, don't you? Rock to the FLOW W. That's excellent. Yeah. It's fast pace. It's got some interesting lyrics about the media, where he sleeps and writing bios and... The majority of the song has just a beat and a whole heap of scratching, like Captain said. And the only musical element of merit is the last part with the horns. That horn section is really good. The arrangement's tight. But again, it's just brief, and it's almost a part two to arrogance. So yeah, apart from that, there's not much to say about it. I mean, it's really just a live, you know, party track. Yeah, it it's is. Not, I don't think it's meant to be a, a you know, a blow-your-head-off studio track. It's, it was meant for the stage. Yeah, but why put it on here if it's a concept? Well, that's the thing. It doesn't really—it doesn't really fit the concept. Concept? Oh, you. I'm look, talking about the whole album. Look, if you don't know every single word to this to these raps, you you're not a Prince fan. I don't know what you are. You have to know every single word. No way. No, and no, thank you. Uh, Toe Jam, what are your thoughts on the flow, if you have any at all? Uh, this is by far the most skippable. Um, oh. Prince, I have to say this, brother, please. <laughs> <laughs> And that's coming from an Aussie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, damn. Here we go again. Tony M at 052 kills the song, even if it wasn't killed in the first 50 seconds. Uh, I have nothing else to say other than the solo, the, the trombone solo with all the backup horns playing along with it is pretty cool. Other than that, it's pretty crap, isn't it, really? Let's be honest. <laughs> we might as well. No, no, no. no it's excellent. Oh, you've said that enough, Captain. You're really starting to worry me now. I think man, this might be in my top ten worst. I think it'd be down there. Yeah, definitely. What? At least yeah. arrogance. At least well, arrogance not, had some interesting let's musical not, elements. Let's not focus on the negative, guys. Come on, we're a positive show. We're a positive podcast. Let's go into the next track. We go. We go back to a full length track here, and it is, of course, a single. There was a video associated with it. The um, number that I'm about to yell out uh, was featured quite heavily in this album and has also been featured in, in many other Prince songs in one form or another. I am, of course, talking about the song Seven. This should be an interesting chat, I feel. Let's go, let's go straight into this. Toe Jam, why don't you start us off with your uh, observations and thoughts on, on Seven, the song? This is a really interesting track. It's not something I think of 
that often, but whenever it comes on, I really enjoy it. It's kind of uplifting, isn't it? Which is weird because the lyrics are just, who on earth knows what he is talking about? Hmm. There's heaps of references to the book of Revelation. There's bits in there where he's pretty much singing straight from that. I forget which bits, but I remember noticing it once and going, oh, wow, that's from Seven. You thought, yeah, that's from Seven, because the Bible copied Seven. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, he can't be original. He's got to be quoting the Bible all the time. Come on. <laughs> Toby's no, actually... such a scholar on the Bible, too. <laughs> <laughs> Getting there. <laughs> <laughs> hey, to- hey Tojem, does your Bible have your initials imprinted on the, on the front cover? Not, a, not in gold yet, so. <laughs> <laughs> Embossed. Uh, okay, but anyway, the chorus is just an amazing soundscape of vocals, isn't it? There must be like, I don't know, I'm guessing 12 vocals, really thick dominant seventh chords running through that. Big Dominant seventh notes. chords, eh? Yeah. Maybe there were seven background vocals. Oh, maybe, maybe. Really long chorus as well. I remember this song came out and people always talk about, oh, it's one of the longest vocal choruses ever. I mean, it probably might be, I guess so. Again, the background vocals for me, absolutely spine-tingling at parts. You know, when he's like, uh, we speak not of love, only blasphemy. That bit just sort of raises a bit and it sort of brings the chills down the back of the spine. Really uplifting. Um, You've got that sitar hook that runs through it. Really catchy little line. There's some references to reincarnation. 12 cells from now, you and I will still be here, which is something he got into a bit more throughout this period and a bit later. Uh, I like it four minutes where he sings fall and holds it and there's this sort of suspense moment. Uh, really visual musical elements there. Uh, and it reminds me of songs like We March. It's like a really, it's a march song. You know, you can imagine a crowd walking down the street chanting this song to their oppressors. Uh, so it's a really visual, really colourful song, really interesting song, but who on earth knows what he's singing about? But also, okay, on the number seven. Now, Prince's always reference the number seven. And people are always like, oh, wow, Prince references the number seven. But I remember when I went to uni, I was doing a maths thing. And the guy said, okay, I want you to, everyone to write down their favorite number, you know, and hide it kind of thing. And then he's like, okay, who, uh, I can bet you that most people chose the number seven. And, you know, it came out like literally 70% of the people in the audience had chosen the number seven. Yeah, apparently for some reason, seven is the most popular single digit number. So he's really not that original after all. (laughs) (laughs) So there you go. Okay, okay. uh, Captain. On to you. Okay, well, let's start. What track is this on the CD? 14? Ah, oh, come on. Yes, man. there you go. <laughs> it, it all starts right there. Maybe that explains <laughs> arrogance in the flow, is he needed two more. <laughs> yeah, he just had to fill the, fill the space. Sorry, I don't get it. 14, what? Oh, come on. <laughs> you're, not, you're not seriously saying 7 by 2. I think it's possible. <laughs> what else would it be? Oh that would just God. be stupid. God. But actually, actually, it makes sense now. because What else would it be? I can see it. I can see it. He's put in the arrogance and the flow in order to make it to get to 14. But then when he's wanted to put I Melt With You in, he's thought, oh, no, I can't do that because that's going to scrap my 14 idea. And so that's why he joined the Continental together. Uh, it all makes sense. It all makes sense. <laughs> that's it. Long shot. Uh, it was going to be the Continental. Tell me how you want to be done different tracks and then he's like oh no and this is the point in the show where the casual prince listeners fall off (laughs) and the 10 regular listeners hang around okay listen it's my go it's track 14 you divide it by two and you get seven it's magic and he was born on the 7th of june that's crazy anyway this was the third single released from this album uh it was a normal single and it was a maxi single with a bunch of remixes there was like there was a whole bunch of remixes there was like about six or seven of them but there were nothing great anyway this was, is, was another example of his multi-tracking, look at me, I can do all these multi-tracking vocals, but, and 
I never really actually liked this as a song that much. I'm not sure why. Really? Yeah, I don't know why. Like some of his other songs do, which everyone else seems to love, and I, I just don't get it. I can I can skip this any day of the week. This is a skipping song for me. It's got you know it's got all the backing vocals. I like the acoustic guitars. I like that little guitar sitar sounding riff, which I'm sure he's used somewhere else as well. I just can't think where. It might not be exactly the same, but similar. It's similar to the, the cross lick, isn't it? It is similar. similar. Yeah, that's it. I really could have done without the bloody the jingle bells all the way through the song. It's not a Christmas song. I don't understand why it's jingle bells all the way. It's a nice effect to do here and there, but how many songs are you going to use it before it looks like you're just running out of things to do? There's some cool bass bits in there, and I'm surprised he played this live, you know, so much when there's, you know, in my opinion, so many other better songs he could have played. He must love it for some reason. But, yeah, I don't love it. Okay, uh, player, seven. Yeah, this is a little bit reminds me of a sequ- the sequel to Thunder from Diamonds and Pearls. Yes. Yeah. Now, this this is a song that actually sounds like it's a part of this project and the concept of the album. It fits really well. It's really big and anthemic and lots of, a lot of multi-layered vocals. It's a nice program beat with the acoustic guitar. gives it a nice sound. I think to go on the back of Captain's point about why he doesn't, you know, live, I think it's a good crowd sing-along favourite. It's not cluttered with a whole heap of sounds. Um, has some interesting lyrics, a lot of religious references, but really well written and executed. It's one of my favourites on not only this disc, but as an all-time Prince song, it's really cool. Wow. Yeah, player, I'd have to follow you up with in agreement with, with much of what you said. To me, this is based on something that Tojo mentioned earlier, one of the least listened to songs from meaning i very rarely pull it out you know i very i'm very really in, in the mood to go you know what i really want to listen to seven today but <laughs> i'm i'm never i'm never in that mood yeah i'm, I'm very rarely in that mood and but when it whenever it comes on i just feel this sense of magic and and fantasy oh. and otherworldliness come to the fore again it, it's um the effect is greater when listening to to this song on on a good pair of headphones but to me this is prince's modern gospel classic it should be a standard in the gospel world and should be far more acknowledged and and uh, more well known than i think it is although you know a lot of people a lot of casual prince fans know this song and i think a big reason of that is in the early 90s when he had so many of his videos on on tv i remember this one um i wasn't a fan at that time but i remember this video being played very often um yeah, it got a lot it got a lot of airplay in australia yeah, I mean, on Rage, it, you know, even years after the album came out, this was a massive, well, maybe not massive rotation, but let's just say the video, you know, popped up its fair share uh, of the time on, on TV. And, and, and so- uh, ex- sorry, what's actually interesting about the single is that this is really his last Warner Brothers single, his last big, last one, big anyway. one anyway. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah. Tojam, you actually taking, you raise a good point and, and, and you're taking me into... <laughs> really my what i get out of this song and and it's two things one i have a theory that this is very much about his relationship with his record label at the time warners and everything else that was going on at the time in his career not so much personal life but pretty much career you know he was trying to break free there's references to you know all seven uh, and we'll watch them fall and in the video it's very very clear that that there's seven guys in in suits, and and I take that as record company executives. I don't know what you guys 
take that for. And even if you don't, you know, it can be author- the authority figures, um, you know, modern businessmen, corporate moguls, whatever it is. I think I think it's pretty obvious that it's he's rebelling against and making a point against, you know, corruption and power. And in, in his mind, probably the, the, the power that Warner Brothers were trying to exert over his career. They stand in the way of love. We will smoke them all. So, so those are the references that are, that I think make make a direct connection between what he was singing about and his record label. Then there's some I don't other get any of that at all. Really? Okay. Um, no, th- it's just the story of the the rock opera. Yes, yeah, the I don't. Seven, I don't... Goons, seven goons came and stole the three chains of gold. Yeah, but he was in the video. He was in that like clear tube, and he was killing the images off of himself. Yeah, I think it's. I think this is one of the. Most complex songs thematically that he yeah this is. is definitely one of the most complex songs thematically that he's ever put together, and it wasn't until I was listening to this album for our show that I really started to appreciate it and almost I say almost fell in love with the song. It, there's just so much to it. I'm a little bit surprised that you guys haven't gone into far greater detail dissecting. Uh, this track both musically but predominantly because of the lyrical and the thematic context i don't um, like and, it enough to and do I, yeah <laughs> and i know some of you have mentioned oh well i don't understand it and I, I don't claim to understand it either but you know one side is the warner brothers thing the other thing is i think he's just he wants to be free and this mm. it's a significant number within the book of revelations within the bible itself within christianity even within the world i mean you know it's a common number, it's a lucky number, it's a very spiritual number, and I think it's spiritually significant, both within the song and the title of the song, I think is spiritually significant, to Toe Jam's point about this being the last song that he released for Warner Brothers. It's like he's saying to them, you know, you're in my way, you're in the way of my career, you're in the way of the love of my music, you know, the love that I have for my music, and... You know, together with the NPG and Maite and and uh, all the people that love me, I'm, we're just going to break through the barrier and, and create our own create our own new world order, so to speak. You know, you look at that cover art of this album, and it's it looks like you know a, a still from the the video of Seven. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like this new utopia that they've created. Um, with streets of gold. <laughs> Yeah, well, there'll be you know, there'll be a new city with the streets of gold. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you know, and parts of it might be laughable, but parts of them I think he's taking very, very seriously. Yeah, no, um, I, lo- I love the sentiment of it. And then I, I like how again this is Prince being an incredibly creative songwriter because he's talking about all these things, and then he brings in the angel coming down onto him, which is a very religious image. And it's a female, you know, a female angel. In her hand, she holds the very key words of compassion, words of peace. Blah, 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 blah. Uh, and then it ends with, we will watch them fall. And it's all about, you know, the breaking down, in my opinion, the breaking down of structures that don't stand for anything or stand for things that are in contradiction to what Prince is about and what his career is about and what his art is about. Um, and then there's many, many other biblical references, spiritual references. I think what he's done here is he's taken his frustration, his anger, and in a way, desperation to reclaim his career. And, and he's used that as inspiration and motivation to create this complex piece of work that has so many various elements that kind of hang together loosely by a thread that can be interpreted in so many different ways. You know, the 12 souls from now and the reincarnation references, uh, many colors will sing a song, the Rainbow Children, anyone, you know, and s- sing a song while we watch them fall. It's a modern, should be a modern gospel uh, standard. It's a classic Prince song. It will 
definitely be on high rotation on my um, on my headphones over the next few days and potentially next few weeks. I just think it's pretty amazing. <laughs> so um, question, question: What do you mean? Seven was his last single for Warner Brothers. Well, his last major one. It was certainly at the end of at the end of his time there, wasn't it? Well, oh, I what suppose do you, you could say. Well, Peach still came out after this. Yeah, and then and then you had but that wasn't connected. Off. That wasn't really connected to an album, really. And and like, it, this is sort of the main, the last main. Off an single. album. Well, then you still had dinner with Dolores and stuff. Yeah, but yeah, that's but not Prince anymore. That's vault stuff. Well, yeah, but it's also it's not Prince. It's he's 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 changed his name to the symbol. So true. It's you know. to me, it's yeah. definitely an end of an era. Like, and maybe it's just because I remember one of the first things I bought was the Hits DVD, um, yeah. and that ended with this. And because I only had like one or two albums at the time and DVDs were new and I just bought that to check out a DVD. Yeah, and you know what? At, at the end of the video, him and Maite walk through the door and the door closes. Yeah. So there's, And it's, it's like this grandiose like locking like boom like that, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, it has some sort of like finality about it as well. Yeah, I, I just think it's incredible when you really take the time to listen to it. And the fact that it is so listenable and, and is a, was a minor pop hit, you know, the combination of words with the lyrics is one thing, but I think this is the closest he has come to incorporating at least a, a minor uh, element of world music and fusing it really well with the, with the incorporating it really well into the style of the track. You know, and you know, the, okay, you can talk about the unclear meaning and the unclear spiritual themes, but listen to the harmonies, listen to the layering, listen to the arrangement. Those acoustic guitar strums and those finger cymbals. And I have to say it, this is pound for pound the best song on this album from a technical point of view. And, and as far as gutsiness goes, as far as being able to take fu- and fuse all these random elements into something completely original and unique and potentially very significant or, or not, <laughs> depending on your perspe- perspective is... It's pretty staggering, actually. So you say that even with jingle bells all the way through it. <laughs> well, what can you do? I think oh. it's just it's just too good. This this song is too good, and I, I slept on even it for years. Even jingle bells can't bring it down. That's right. <laughs> even Santa Claus himself can't bring this song down. <laughs> I'll just mention the um, the drum loop from the song Seven, which is sampled from Tramp, the nineteen sixty seven track by um, L. Fulson and um, Jay Cracklin. And, and you know the song is is fairly well known within R and B circles, especially at that time period. It was performed by um, uh, Otis Redding, Carla Thomas, a few others as well. Um, I remember seeing Buddy Guy do a version of this uh, in, in Sydney a few years back. And you know I had to read about it to f- to figure it out. But when you really listen to to the song, it's obvious. And I, I wonder why why he incorporated that drum sample as opposed to just having Michael B play the beats himself. I guess we'll never know. But um, well, this album was the first where he actually credited the samples that he was using, and on like previous to that, he hasn't. So okay. it was like one of the first albums where he actually, because you know when you when you put the the credit in, you have to you know pay the the royalties, which. Yep. I think it was becoming more of a big thing then as well that artists were starting to say, hang on, I'm getting sampled and I'm not getting anything for it. Yeah. So it started to become a bit of an industry thing where you had to do it. So. But it was also cool. It was kind of cool at that time, like to mm. sort of like sampling was cool. So like you were like taking someone else's work and like making your own thing out of it. So like you, you put in there the credits, like where, where you got the actual sample from. So I think there's a bit of that and there's a bit of like, well, yeah, I actually have to, you know, start paying some royalty here. And what I'm using, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. All right. And after seven, the hits just keep on coming. And God created woman. Doing love all around. 
Your thoughts on this? This I really like. Um, sort of smooth and jazzy, especially that guitar and the horns. The um, percussion is nice. The vocal delivery is on point. The lyrics are cool, nicely written and well executed. has a bit of a Adam and Eve vibe about it. Some of the lyrics I like, they can have you, but I'll have your love in the end. That's pretty deep. Another highlight would be the last 30 seconds where it builds up a little bit to the climax and you got Michael B going off on the drums with all those... Phil's really awesome stuff. I like this song. Okay, okay. Captain, your feelings on uh, And Gone Created Woman? This one, even though this is far from the type of music I'd normally listen to, this is a pretty good song. I like it. It's got, it's got good vocals all the way through. The main vocal is great, but then you've got the, a million layers of backing vocals, and again, they're just amazing, as usual. And you've got horns all over the place on this one. Uh, the drum set great, and there's all these little bells and whistles, and it's got the big end, and then the ding dong bang at the end. Got to have that. And you, no one said yet, have they? The title of this song is from the the movie, the Roger Vadim movie, who also directed Barbarella, which is like another you know Prince loves that movie, and named Tommy Barbarella. There you go. There you go. What's the movie about? I have no idea. I've never seen it. <laughs> I just know that there's a movie. Title of the song is the same as the title of the movie. And it's from like, I don't know, 67, something like that. Well, we should watch the movie then and review that. (laughs) And God Created Woman, this is another great song with some really cool songwriting there. Again, the the song's lyrics are heavily biblical. And um, I mean, it's fairly obvious he's talking about Adam and Eve all throughout this track and maybe some references to the film as well. But this is great, you know, that sleek vocal, great band performance, really clever arrangement, like three minutes, 18 seconds, and so much happens in this song. It just kind of takes all these interesting twists and turns, and I mean, the next track takes some serious twists and turns, but this is almost like a precursor to that. It's like the entree to what's about to come next uh, on this album. Again, a blissful listening experience, and um, I think these sorts of songs, uh, songs like And God Created Woman and Seven and Damn You, blah, 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 they, um, they really show how skillful Prince is as a composer and with that Toe Jam uh, I really like this song I think it's it's the dream song on the album it sounds like it was sort of came out of a left field part of his brain when he was asleep very acoustic and again I think this would fit really nicely with songs like Sweet Baby and uh, Strollin' and stuff on and Damn You and stuff on The Vault I reckon you can make a really killer acoustic jazzy album out of all those tracks Really nice drums, really subtle drums using the rims. And then he goes to the snare when, when the chorus comes in. I go, I oh, not the chorus, but, you know, the end of each sort of section he finishes with And God Created Woman. And then the snare comes in. Really nice effect. Again, the background vocals completely are all, all amazing in this track. Big and operatic. Some big, scary minor chords, diminished chords at 132. Again, adding to that really big operatic sound. This would be amazing to hear this song sung by, like, a, a big choir in a, in a theatre, wouldn't it? That'd be spine-chilling. Hang on, MC, did... Sydney Opera House. Was that on the list? <laughs> I believe it was, yep. Has to be, yeah. This, this and the next song had to be. Yeah, okay. definitely. Again, really nice chord progressions to resolve mm. out of those scary chords back into the nice majory ones. Now, lyrically, obviously, um, as a fictional story, I think it's really nice story. But, you know, if he's taking this literally, I sort of have some problems with that. And it's he seems to love the Adam and Eve story, doesn't he? It's sort of one of his themes that of all the biblical stories, this is the one he references the most. Flesh of my flesh. Yeah, but yeah, it really is an amazing song, actually. 
And it's kind of hard to categorize, isn't it? Because it's not a ballad. It's not a... It's sort of its own little thing. It's its own little dreamy song. So that's my review of And God Created Woman. All right, all right, all right, all right. And with that, we get into the second last song on this album. It is titled Three Chains of Gold. We made some references to this and we've been building up to this, I think, I hope. I feel this is going to be interesting. Captain, I could be right, and I think I am right. I'll take this over to you. I'll give this, pass this over to you, your review of uh, Three Chains <laughs> of Gold, the song. I have no idea what, what? Captain's going to say. Yeah, ne- you know I'm what? Torn, neither do actually. I. He could love <laughs> it or don't? he could hate it. No idea. I, I, actually I have a really, suspicion. <laughs> I really do not like this song. Oh, wow. That's, that's what? No, I'm joking. That's the best freaking song you ever made. <laughs> I've seen this word being thrown around a lot on, on certain forums lately, but this song deserves that title. It is Masterpiece. And I'm not going to comment on every part of this song because I'd be here all night, but it is just excellent. It is so atmospheric. There's just a million things in there. There's some excellent bass work in there, insane guitar solos, the keyboard stuff, the drums. It's all just excellent. It's perfect. One of my favorite parts starts at 2.48 with the solo, the guitar solo and the bass line going. It's just beautiful stuff. And then there's another great guitar solo starts at 3.38, which is just one of the best things he's ever recorded. It's an amazing solo. It's perfectly crafted to fit in that space. And the tone, the sound of that guitar, it's just bloody amazing. It doesn't even last 30 seconds, but it's one of the best 30 seconds that he's, he's ever recorded. And I love the guitar harmonies which sort of bring me to the next point. And I only want to say these words once because uh, everyone's going to say them anyway. It's Bohemian Rhapsody by Queen. And I think that's a pretty dumb comparison to make to this song. I think anything even remotely, you know, similarly experimental these days, it, it always gets compared to that song for some reason. I agree. Because, because it just basically created its own sort of genre because there wasn't anything like it before. And now anything, it's compared to that. If it's anything remotely like it. Hang on, but don't you think that Princess listened to Bohemian Rhapsody and thought to himself, I want to make my own version of that song? I mean, it's basically impossible that Prince has not heard Bohemian Rhapsody in his life. But whether that influenced him or he got inspiration in any way from this song, we'll never know for sure until he writes his autobiography. Well, let, let's put it this sure. way. What year did Wayne's World come out? 92, I think. Yeah, well, there you go. Because that's when that song had a real big rejuvenation. But is that the sort of movie he'd go and watch? Maybe it is. Maybe that's his favourite. No, but it recharted. It recharted, I think. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, that was 92. Wow. But actually, while we're on the Bohemian Rhapsody, I I had in my comments that it may well be that he was inspired by that song. And there is a, a bit that sounds very similar to it. But so what? I mean, like blues. I mean, how many songs have been written using the blues progression? And yeah. then, okay, so we have one other song that uses a similar bit from Bohemian Rhapsody. Everyone's like, oh, he's just ripped off Bohemian Rhapsody. It's like, no, he hasn't. He's made, <laughs> he may have been inspired that one little bit, but the, the whole is, song is is not really Bohemian Rhapsody. Well, the, it's a similar genre, genre-wise. Yeah, it's the same genres as Bohemian Rhapsody, but I don't think it's not. It's it's too good to just say, oh, it's just a rip-off of Bohemian Rhapsody. I, I agree with you, but you also mentioned, oh, there's one bit that's kind of similar. What bit is that? What similar? What musical bit are you talking about? The thing I'm thinking of is the piano bit where the piano is going. This morning I wanted some cup of coffee. That bit. 
just the piano bit that pretty vague though i mean yeah exactly it's just because it's a big operatic song with lots of rock guitars and big drums and crazy changes that people are it's just a ripoff of bohemian rhapsody yeah and and it's got some distinct sections it's like bohemian rhapsody is like three songs in one and in a way this is very similar so i think that's what people are comparing it to yeah so what else is there to say how else could you end this song with a massive let's go crazy huge guitar solo and that's it this is probably oh i don't know i won't say it's the best i'll say it's in my top three songs on this album Hmm. and that's it all right uh toe jam well, this is a really amazing track, really. Lyrically, again, I have no idea what he's singing about. It goes in all crazy directions. And it's kind of dark, you know. He's like, there's this one bit where he's singing, one of us have the date with The Undertaker, which one will it be? You can cry forever, but you'll get no sympathy. But it's it's real dark lyrics, but then it's sung in this real happy falsetto bit, and it's all lovey-dovey. It's just, what the? That's really interesting contrast there. It's just a really big operatic musical rock thing, isn't it? So many changes. I've got them all written down minute-wise, but I don't know if I'll go through them. I think we all get the idea. There's lush sections with big reverb. There's crazy guitar solos. There's everything you want. And the performance by the band is phenomenal. Uh, The performance by Prince vocally and on the guitar is phenomenal. It goes everywhere. And it's very dark. Again, lots of diminished chords and minor chords. And the guitar solos are sort of chromatic. Lots of chromatically guitar solos using lots of different notes etc and then you know the way it finishes with this whole you will go before me you will go before me it's just dark stuff isn't it like uh and then at 511 you've got that massive guitar rubato bit which is like let's go crazy on steroids it's almost so fast it's like you can't really distinguish the notes but the effect of it works really well so yeah it's hard to say something about the song but it's just it's really is a unique song in in the prince canon isn't it because it's so big it's it's long, it's epic, it's, it's got everything, the multi-layered vocals. Epic, that's uh, the word. Yeah, that is the word. Uh, and mm. Claire Fisher brings a, so much to this song once again. Yeah, what an amazing song, what an amazing composition, what an amazing arrangement. I shudder to think how long something like this would have put together, but knowing Prince and the MPG, they, it probably wouldn't have taken them as long. But I just know for me, if I was trying to put something like this together, it would just it'd take me a year. <laughs> so yeah, what an amazing piece of music. I'm going to quote Vince because Vince would call this song a monster. That's what it is. It's, <laughs> a just a, it's just a monster track. It's just It just blows your head off every single time. Those guitar solos just kill me every single time. I can listen to this like on repeat like 10 times in a row, not even think about it. Easy. And it's a, it's a shame that they never played this, like they played bits of it live. Like they played the sort of main riff at the end as the sort of outro on the Act 1 and 2 tour, but it's a shame they never really played the full thing live, which is a shame, because that would have been killer. That would have been a great... But maybe it wouldn't have translated so well attempt. in, like, a stadium show. Well, with, like, Bohemian Rhapsody, uh, I said I wasn't going to say it, they never actually played the full thing live. There was always, like, that middle bit, which was always playback, because they just, you just couldn't do it live. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like the, 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 the massive the, vocal the, bits. The start bit and the end bit, they were live, but there was always that pre-recorded bit which they just played through the middle of it because you just couldn't do it on stage. You couldn't reproduce it live. Hmm. And this song would be similar, you know. I mean, you could, there's no way you could get near all those backing vocals. I mean, you unless, it was, all, unless yeah. it was all pre-recorded or you had a friggin', you know, 100 people up there. Unless you had the Sydney Symphony the sounds Orchestra of, the sounds up there. Of blackness. That'll it never sounds, happen. So. Sounds of Blackness Choir, that's what you need up there. Get them back. Uh. Okay, it'll never happen, so let's go to play and get his thoughts on this. I'm interested to see, uh, to hear, sorry, what players about to say. 
Wow, this is a really awesomely ambitious song. Lots of musical and tempo changes, key changes. It's very elaborate. And like Tojem said, it must have taken him ages to compose and arrange this one. Clearly, it's his version of Bohemian Rhapsody. It's got like six sections of music. It's, it's an audio roller coaster. You don't know where he's going to take it next. And it builds and builds and there's orchestral parts. And again, like Seven, it seems like it's supposed to be here on this album. It's part of the musical theme and concept. It's very operatic and theatrical. The highlights would be uh, 212, the change at that point there where the bass plays this note that slides down and the piano starts this staccato motif and it's got violins backing it and there's castanets and there's these roaring drums from Michael B. 250, there's the first guitar solo, 339, the second one. And then from there, it yeah. builds up right up to the five-minute mark where you have this orgasmic climax at the guitar break, <laughs> 513. That's very reminiscent of Let's Go Crazy. Very raw and rocking. And then there's the last part where Michael B is going absolutely nuts on the drums. And, that and, you, got Prince, and you got Prince going... <gasps> Oh, yeah, that's Wait great. Wait for it. Wait for it. Yeah, that's <laughs> great. This is like the tension there. It's great. This is really awesome. It's one of the most complex and musically satisfying efforts from Prince ever. I think I read somewhere that they cut this in one take. I don't know if that's right, but if they did, that's, that's well, pretty cool. They, it's possible they could have cut the absolute basic drum and bass tracks for this in one go. But then he spent six months overdubbing it. There's no other way. It's kind of one of those things that makes you wonder how how they went about composing it. Like, I imagine it would have, wouldn't have been dissimilar to something like Into the Lotus and Back to the Lotus, where it's like kind of a sketchy group of chords and they just jam on it all day until they sort of come up with the structure. And then, all right, there's the structure. Record that bass, drums, guitar. Okay, now let's go through and overdub the crap out of it and turn it into a proper song. Mm. So I kind of imagine it's similar. I imagine Into the Lotus and Back to the Lotus being composed in a similar way. Yeah, I mean, they could have recorded the basic tracks in one take but then there was you know five billion overdubs so while it's impressive to say oh we did it in one take yeah there's the you know with a few little bit of fine print underneath it (laughs) well i I don't know if i can add much to what you guys have said you've pretty much covered all the points that i I was interested in talking about so i'll just i'll just add a couple one is this is it's monster (laughs) it's monster It's, it's an absolutely amazing album closer and the power the effect and the drama and the tension is um just massive it's huge it's enormous it's it's a great album closer and but it doesn't close the album that's and the thing that i was just thinking that but this should have been the end of the album i agree and then sacrifice of victor sounds like like a hidden track at the end yeah it's, it's a bit weird isn't it that it's disjointed that last this song is, this but, is such a massive end that should have been the last track yeah I, I agree you know this is the gold this is the purple rain this is the dare i say get on the boat <laughs> not um, <laughs> but uh, but seriously it's it's amazing in every respect and you guys have said it all the, the only other two things are one the minor thing that I think actually is distracting and just unnecessary is that one bit when Maite says, I, I, I actually don't remember the line. If I you don't, got... you will die. Yeah, it's that. But then <laughs> even before then, it's bring back the chain. What is it? Take back the chains or bring Something back the like chains. That, yeah. or, uh, it's like... Um, if you don't, you will die. It, it reminds me that. of those... It just adds all the drama. Yeah, it's just it's it's a bit 
lame, isn't it? Really, let's let's be honest. It, it reminds me of those um, early '90s uh, Hollywood cartoon movies. You know, it's like <laughs> The Lion King or something. It's like, <laughs> no, go quick before the door closes on you. No, you know, um, the volcano is about to explode. You know, the, the plane has to fly through those. That, that really narrow <laughs> opening <laughs> between two massive mountains or something. It's one of those... Indiana Jones kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's perfect. It's the I don't like the Indiana Jones elements of Three Chains of Gold, and I, I wish he would have just a bit of exerted <laughs> Indi- some self-control. Indiana Jones and the Three Chains of Gold. <laughs> <laughs> That's very good. The, the final thing, of course, is it has to be said, this would be an incredible concert closer in any venue really that i can think of but definitely not in montreux definitely not forget about it (laughs) that'll never happen i i feel like i'm almost not doing my review justice but you guys really have mentioned it also so i'm not going to waste airtime just uh, repeating it an astounding piece of music composition arrangement playing out of this world (sighs) i'm spent it has a, a big effect on the listener, you know? You, you just, you're like, well, what, what, what's going to come after that? Yeah, by the time you get to the end of it, you've been on that ride. Yep. But and if, you're just like, wow, that was a, that, that was a thing. Yes. Yeah, so <laughs> but there's one more, there's just one more, one more piece to the puzzle. We're not no, done yet. Yeah. No, there's two pieces to the puzzle. True. There's the segue and then the yeah. sacrifice of Victor. Okay, we, we've got track 17. Excuse me, but uh, what's up with your voice? It's a special phone. A tongue box. A tongue box. Oh, L- like in the movie Barbarella? Yeah. Gives me courage to know I'm failed, I can hide behind. And no comment from me. No comment from me. No, but I hang on. Track 17. Now, there is, there's, a, there's something about track 17. One, it's necessary because after that big climax of Three Chains of Gold, you can't go straight into Victor. You need that thing there to, like, break it up. Like, if you're going to put this Sacrifice of Victor on, you couldn't put it directly after that. It's just You could have put 30 seconds of silence. And then finished the album. Yeah, and maybe. Sacrifice being a hidden track. Maybe. But I think that's part of the reason why that, that's there is, is because of that. And the second part of it is this big joke of where he says, like, he's obviously joking to the Kirstie Alley character about his name being Victor, but everyone took it so seriously. Mm. Everyone thought... I mean, the element of it is got to do with this was the last sort of album he released as Prince, and then the next year, June 7, 1993, he changed his name to The Symbol, which I don't know if you guys have heard of this, but if you take the letters of Victor, V-I-C-T-O-R, and interlace them, one on top of each other, you get The Symbol. I didn't know that, but that makes sense. So the bottom part... Wait a second, I want to do it right now. Yeah, you've... Okay, you okay. The v, yeah. You guys, look at the front cover, look at the symbol in my type. The bottom part, V, mm-hmm. the arrow part. I in the middle. C on the left-hand side that curls around. T is the cross in the middle. O is the top part. And R stands from the middle out to the right-hand side. So if you there take you the, there was the rumor that he changed his name to Victor, the symbol is Victor, and then... I guess he got annoyed at that because everything after that he was like, no, I'm not Victor. Victor. That's name- hilarious. Yeah. I'm but not it- Victor. I'm Shutong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it was kind of interesting. Like the last track is called The Sacrifice of Victor and then he became the symbol and people saying he's Victor and then they, it's that crazy theory with the, the letters of Victor interlaced with each other. It's, yeah, it was all kind of wacky. 
And it well, really boiled down to this segue, this last track, and the name change, really. And, and, and the, the, the other interesting thing about what you're saying is that this song was... was um, the first sessions for this song were in late 91. Mm. I think November, December 1991. So, you know, almost a full year be- before this album was even released. So he's already thinking and planning and scheming how to get out in a way. Well, that's right. And that's like what I was saying at the start of this show with My Name is Prince. Like, why put that track on this album? Too much power at... Ab- Corrupt, absolutely. That's what I have to say. <laughs> I can't stop thinking of what Toe Jam just said. Uh, it's in my head now. The funky new album, entitled Chibunk. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Victor and the NPG in the Three Chains of Gold. I love it. Okay, that's that's track 17. Enough of that. Okay, uh, let's go into the final track of this album. Uh, it is, of course, The Sacrifice of Victor. <laughs> We've been alluding to it. Let's talk about it. And let's open this up with um, Captain's thoughts. Oh, okay. Uh, lots of things here. Supposedly some autobiographical lyrics about being epileptic when he was seven. And this was the track that caused everyone to think the Prince had changed his name. The album and the song, this song ends. And the album ends with him saying, my name will be Victor. So that didn't help people not think his name was Victor. Exactly. Exactly. But all you guys will remember, Australians will remember... Triple J had the, their competition. When he, changed, when he changed his name to the symbol, they're like, well, we can't call him symbol. And they did this competition, what we can call him, and the winning name was Davo. Yep. And that is just the funniest thing ever. Look it up. It really happened. I'm not just talking rubbish. Um, oh, this song, you got some funky horn lines from the hornheads. Again, I could live without jingle bells all the way through the song. It's not Christmas time. I don't need jingle bells. Ah, it's funky. It's funky. I love the massive drum sound, Michael B. Oh, the drums just sound excellent. Are the steels on this? Yes. Yes, they are. It yeah. sounds like them. It's got to be them. But I'd, and here you go. The song, oh, I said this before, the song and the album ends with him saying, my name is Victor, but then it ends with Amen. Is it mm. the only Prince album to end with Amen? I think it could be. Not that that means anything. <laughs> and that's about it. It's a good song. I like it. All right. Player, you've spoken a lot about Victor. What do you think about the sacrifice of said person, Victor? I like the song. I think musically it's it's pretty cool. It's uplifting. It's has gospel tinges. It's positive. Uh, you know, joy lives around the corner. It's it's a pretty uplifting track. Where it's positioned on the album, maybe not so much. But you know, like like I was saying with the name change just then and and everything. Like you got these autobiographical elements, the epilepsy. You got the Bernadette Anderson reference in there. So like, there's a lot of things about his life in here. It's kind of like a closing of a chapter almost. So, you know, I can kind of understand where fans and media and all that got the impression that he possibly changed his name to Victor and all that. But on the other hand, it's, it kind of sounds ridiculous. Like, going from a name called Prince to Victor, it's, it's kind of wacky. But Victor. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, and I'm not slamming the name Victor, but I'm just saying it's, it's kind of like a, a, a strange concept. But um, Shout out to Victor Chan. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, like, it's it's... It, like musically and the song itself, I like it. It's really good. Yeah, I just don't have a lot really to say about it. It's you know, it's got the steels, it's got all the elements there. It's it's really cool, but it's it's really like a sort of question mark ending to this whole album. Okay, maybe Toejam can un- unravel the mystery for us and answer some questions. Toejam. Supposedly, I remember reading somewhere that this was actually like a Batman graffiti bridge outtake, which I can kind of hear that the tempo and the and the beats and the 
it just seems a bit, I don't know what it's doing on, like, not on this album, maybe, but just where it is to finish the album. It's like, I mean, Three Chains of Gold was would have been such a good ending, or Seven would have been a great ending as well. But to finish on this, it's a bit of a downer in some ways. You've got those big classic 1999 sort of chords running through it. Again, with the Batman reference, it kind of reminds me a little bit of, of the beat of Party Man, like that same sort of tempo. Yeah, not a lot to say about it. I mean, the lyrics are kind of autobiographical they kind of reference a lot of the stuff that was happening in the 60s and so yeah it's, it's sort of another march slash protest song which, you know which has its place but again it's like i just it's, it's kind of skippable in in the respect that it's the last song on this very long album after three chains of gold it's it, and it's not particularly super memorable so it's not bad but it's uh it's not exactly great i like some of the lyrics actually i just thought of some more there's that there's the lines about the unsuspecting political tools and um and the, then there's that line about uh, they put the babies together to eliminate the fear. There's some good. There's some good lines in there. Mm. Lyrically, yeah. It's um. If I can round this out, sorry again about the lyrics. Obviously, they're very important to Prince, uh, and it's sort of referencing all the American civil rights things. And and you know, from an Australian's point of view, not being of that culture, not being of that country, I, I kind of feel a bit removed from it. Mm. Um, so it's hard to get into it in that respect. Yeah. We know nothing. <laughs> We know nothing. Well, it's not that it's you know it's obviously it's very important to them and, and and it should be. But again, from from an outsider's point of view, it's hard to get into. Yeah, to me, there's an element of that. There's also the element of the semi-autobiographical context within the song, um, and it's it's curious. It's just a curious way to end the album because I'm not necessarily saying that it needed to end on a dark, serious monster of a song, but this kind of it's like I don't know I don't know I don't even know what I'm trying to say it's just like a new beginning and um maybe it's just too much of a contrast you know between this and three chains of gold but musically the thick bass and the banging drums are pretty cool the horns are really snappy very tight the steels add the gospel backing vocals and really using the steels on any track is going to make it automatically just instantly yeah. better which is He's great like, I, need, I need a bit of that gospel sound put the steels on there yeah and it works it works Done. too and that type of uber f- really this song is just uber funky but it's the type of funk that he just does in his sleep which is quite incredible when you think about it you know like you could imagine 98 percent of funk soul artists sitting in a studio with a bunch of musicians even if they were as talented as the guys that he's playing with and employing sitting around like really they could get something like this they could get this sort of sound but i imagine them having to work incredibly hard whereas i don't know why it is and i could be completely wrong i just imagine this coming relatively easy to him at this stage in his career you know he's been he's been playing around with with incredible bands for close to 12 years, 14 years. And he, you know, this is just something he does on autopilot, more or less. His voice sounds like it's cracking in parts. And I actually thought, Captain, you'd be a big fan of that because he's really pushing it. He's pushing yeah. his voice to the limit throughout yeah, this, this song. It's just one It's just one big funky party to end the album. And I guess when you think about it that way, maybe that was intentional to leave it on an uplifting mood and a positive vibe going into, you know, the next part of his career. Yeah, that, that's about it. So there's, that round... There's, there's that really good bit. It's like the last, I don't know, minute and a half where, you know, the steels are all going off and he's going off. It's it's just great. They're all just going off. Yeah, it's... They're all just going, wah! It's excellent. It's definitely uplifting. But this song and everything that came before it, we, you know, we've talked about uh, this album. Let's just do a quick, a quick round table and give everyone an opportunity to just summarize this album and their thoughts. And you don't need to score it. I'm not particularly offended if you don't, but uh, let's do some, a bit of a roundup with some final thoughts. Player, your thoughts on, on this album and, and this time period? Uh, 
Yeah. This album's really hard for me because I like the songs individually on their own. When they're brought together in this on this album, I don't like it. And I think it's because I'm, I'm my mindset is like it's trying to be a concept album and it kind of doesn't, like when you listen to it all the way through, it doesn't have a concept. And yeah, it's just a bit disjointed for me in that sort of regard when I'm listening to it. Like I listen to each song and I like it for what it is. But when I listen to it together, it's it's really hard for me to listen to. So it's really, really hard for me to... You can thank Prince for that. I don't even know if it's his fault, but I don't know. You can, like, th- you can thank I Wanna Melt With You. But it's not even just that. I think he had a, a solid idea, and then when it, it came around to it, every time he's added something to it, that, that, that original idea was sort of watered down and lost. I don't know. It's just, it's just hard. And then, like... You know, he's trying to explain a story, and I still to this day don't know what what the story is, even with the Three Chains of Gold video and, and all that. Like, it's just, I don't know. But yeah, like, the songs themselves, they're really cool. I like them. If I was to score it, maybe uh, seven, seven and a half, maybe. Oh. Yeah. I don't know. I just, it's very hard for me to sort of reflect on this album as a whole. I don't really, re- re- you know, visit this album much. I'm not saying it's a bad album because it's, it's clearly it's not, but it's just, it's not something that I can sit through from start to finish. If I put on the morning papers, I'll listen to it all the way through or each song, like Seven, Three Chains of Gold, even My Name is Prince, all those sort of songs, I will sit through and like listen to them, but I wouldn't listen to the whole album from start to finish. It's just really hard and I don't know why. I think it's just very, it's a very ambitious album, I'll give it that, being the rock opera album. That's all i got to say for it. Wow. Uh, Captain, what are your final thoughts? This album is one of my favourite Prince albums ever. <laughs> it's in the top five maybe even top three so I'm gonna have to give it like a, a 9.3 hmm, even though even though the storyline got messed around it's still one of my favorite albums ever of his but having said that trying to review the songs it's really hard I, I tried so hard to be objective with some of these songs but some of them I just I couldn't like the morning papers all I can say is like oh it's good guitar solos I couldn't even think of anything to say because I, I just like that song so much what do you say uh, I, I've got something to say. <laughs> I'm a huge, huge fan of half of this album. I think half of this album or half of this record, depending on your preference, is top shelf material. And it's some of the songs here are some of the best he's ever done. It's the other half that doesn't quite rub me the right way and doesn't, it just doesn't stand up over repeated listens as a cohesive whole. So it's one of those albums that's got some amazing songs on it and some truly incredible moments, but it's so disjointed for all the reasons that we mentioned. And, you know, we're going to talk about Diamonds and Pearls and we'll review that. But to me, it's very similar. It's got that same Diamonds and Pearls syndrome. There's some incredible songs on Diamonds and Pearls, and then there's some fluff, and in my opinion, some filler, just making up the numbers. And so what I've done, I'm not going to rate this or do it, but (laughs) what I've actually done is on my portable listening devices, I don't have Diamonds and Pearls or Symbol anymore. I've actually got two. I've actually, yeah, I've got a mixture of the two. I've created... Diamonds and Shung. Well, actually, I've created my own album, (laughs) and it's titled, very simply, Diamonds, Pearls, and Symbols. And that's that's exactly how it reads. Prince and the MPG, Diamonds, Pearls, and Symbols. And I reckon if that was how it was released, to my taste and my preferences, that would have been easily, without a doubt, (laughs) one of his greatest albums. I'm talking... I'm talking yeah. Purple Rain, yeah, Parade. Total, total, I love the totally objective 
Sign of the Times, yeah, Love Sexy. Perfectly, if he made an album Diamonds, exactly to my taste, it would be the biggest pearls, album symbols, ever. <laughs> gold experience. Good one. And that's it. That, that, that would just be the absolute album, greatest he, albums. He all the songs out just for me. It would have been the best album ever. But seriously, it's like when um, sports fans go, if they just had a kick the goal that would have won the match, they would have won the match. <laughs> oh, you lot. You love to have a good chuckle, don't you? I'd like to take it to Toe Jam to round up his thoughts, round up this show, and uh, take us to the next phase. Toe Jam. Uh, okay. I give this album a 10 for, not overall, but I give it a 10 for ambition. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. It's got ambition. That's for sure. I think this is probably the thickest album he's done in terms of there is so much stuff happening in every single song. As I say that, I hear myself having said that again about another album, but I can't think which one. But this one, seriously, there's just layer upon layer. (laughs) There's layer upon layer upon layer upon layer. There's a million vocals. There's a million horns. There's strings. There's there's raps. There's scratches. There's samples. There's beats. There's everything. You name it. Pretty much on most songs as well. So I give it... Massive points for ambition. Uh, now, as we've gone through the album review, through each song, I kind of feel like I've been a bit negative towards it because each song, well, there are a few of the really stellar ones, but a lot of the songs, there's kind of things we're thinking, oh, you know, he shouldn't have done that or he should have done this. But overall, I think I, I really appreciate the sort of naivety of this album, like having the balls to put this to put it out like it is, like with all its, you know, Prince probably doesn't see the flaws. But it's the the ambition and, and the balls. Exactly, from you know, from his point of view, everything's probably a, a piece of masterpiece. So he probably doesn't see it the way we do. And in that respect, it's really interesting in that this is kind of an album from his from some weird cell in his brain, uh, if that makes sense at all. Because I, but I overall personally, I'm kind of a bit with MC in that some of the song it's really 50-50. Like there is some really top rate material. Most of the acoustic stuff, I think. I think most of the acoustic songs, sexy MF. Love to the Nines, Morning Papers, uh, Blue Light, Sweet Baby to a lesser extent, Damn You, definitely, Seven, and God Created Women, Three Chains of Gold. Wow, there's a lot of really top-class material, but it's just kind of sprinkled between these. There's a bit of filler in this album for me. Uh, even My Name is Prince is, is, is a filler opening track in some mm. ways. The Max is a bit filler. I Want to Melt With You is a bit filler. The Continentals is a bit filler. Arrogance and the Flow are filler. So it's really hit and miss, this album. But, boy, I really appreciate the effort that's gone into making this album, even with all its flaws. Uh, so I'm probably going to give it an 8. Just And there's a lot of points accumulated there just for ambition. It's funny that you mention some of the best songs of the acoustic band-based uh, numbers. And, uh, and I completely agree with you. But that strikes me as, as uh, odd or quite the opposite or quite logical because you know you put prince in a room with with some good strong compositions arrangements and a bunch of talented musicians and usually the results are stunning when you put just him in a room and have him experimenting it can go either way i feel he can either create an absolute masterpiece like a a when doves cry or if i was your girlfriend or thieves in the temple or she's always in my hair yeah you know he just he just absolutely kills it or he comes up with my name is Prince or... or I agree. Um, and like, when yeah. you think about it, like he'd really taken the, the solo man doing everything to such a peak that I think by Graffiti Bridge, even by Graffiti Bridge, it just became a bit too thick and too much sort of sound for the sake of sound. And it took him to, to get a live band happening in the studio again, uh, like the MPG, to really kick him back into a gear. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Well, that was fun. <laughs> Certainly a, 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 an, an in-depth album. discussion. One of my... Favorite albums. I'm sad it's over. 
Yeah, I think you guys are right. Like, when you think about it, those sort of hip-hop-based ones that he was sort of trying to chase the trends that were going on at the time, they don't really sort of stand up, whereas the ones that are sort of yeah. more akin to what he does is like the live band stuff, they're, they're sort of like the more stronger material. When he follows the stuff that he does and what he's good at, those songs stand up, and the ones that he was chasing the trend, they're the ones that where he sort of falls down in. Well, this is the thing, like, with the rap stuff as well, like, you know, we pay him out a bit and laugh at Tony M, have a joke, but again, it's like, I, I actually really appreciate the, the effort that he, like, he was trying to make a, a hybrid sound, he was trying to put this rap stuff into yeah. his thing. And people say, oh, he was just selling out. I don't know if he was selling out. I, I think he was, part of it was probably that. But I think another part was he was genuinely trying to find something new, trying to put these new elements that yeah. weren't things that he necessarily was brought up to, like not something that he was influenced by, but something that he's observed out there and thought, well, what can I do with this? And I think he's tried to put it in, but because it's not natural to him, it kind of comes across a bit forced sometimes. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Yeah, in a, in a, and a bit fake. It's 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 like um, if, if Miles Davis started singing <laughs> you know it would be just odd hmm. at the end you know considering his voice was shot but um <laughs> you can think of countless examples where if you took an artist and you just had them do a complete 180 usually it would sound pretty disastrous and everyone you know? was doing it at the time as well everyone had a little guest rapper in their pop song yeah yeah, yeah. but it's a it's a good point you talk you, you talk about it actually got me thinking about you know when when prince himself whether it's a one-man band production or whether it's a composition that he's worked on virtually alone when he, when it's just him at the table if he's tr if he's overly ambitious and trying too hard usually the results aren't that great if he's just toying around the results are usually interesting i would say and when he's trying to catch on to a, to a trend, whether it be hip hop or you know modern day beats, or also usually sounds a bit kind of forced and and not that pleasant to listen to. And I feel like as an artist or as a fan listening to this artist and his the progression of his career, I feel like the best material and the the most impressive material that he's ever come up with has been at times when he was just inspired and the music flowed out of him. It's like the morning papers sounds so effortless. Now, obviously, it takes a great amount of skill and ability to put that all together, but the end result just sounds beautiful. It's just seamless all throughout. Whereas something like a My Name is Prince, for example, going back to this Symbol album, it just sounds so disjointed. And it's like he's, it's like Lego pieces, you know, that he's trying to create this thing. And at the end of the day, you look at it from a distance and you're like, well, what the hell is that? <laughs> it's, it's sometimes he becomes so abstract in his musical implementation of his ideas that it's either too thick or it's just a bit out of place or out of character. Or, but if he didn't do all these mental things, we wouldn't even be here. Y you're right, Captain. And that's another interesting point. It's like, if, if you don't go through that process, then then you don't come up with the goods. You don't come up with all the other That's it. music. So, yeah, it's. I guess it's just an, an interesting conversation. But. <laughs>